Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. September 1st, 1989. Dear Diary, I believe I'm a good person. You know, I think that there's good in everyone, but <laughs> here we are. First day of senior year. And uh, I look around at these kids that I've known all my life and I ask myself, what happened? Freak, slut, burnout, bug eyes, poser, lord ass. We were so tiny, happy and shiny, playing tag and getting chased. Freak, slut, loser, short bus. Singing and clapping. Hello, all you theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL, and welcome back to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. This series is called Problematic Question Mark, and it is covering shows that you're mad at and their possible redemption. I am your host, Matt Koplick, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts, and with me today is a dear friend of mine, first time on the pod. You might have seen her across the country in Mamma Mia!, or Jesus Ash Christe Superstar, uh, otherwise known as Jesus Christ Superstar, or on Broadway in Mamma Mia, or in Transit. In Transit, yeah. In Transit, I, I remember. Heard of it? I have, actually. Maybe I, a few people have. I, I think more, Not many. Than, more than a handful, though. Uh, a little more people than know my podcast. <laughs> and, I, and I think, <laughs> and that... That is history. That's our history. Please welcome to the pod, Chelsea Williams. Hello. Hi, baby. Hi. How are you doing, love? Good. This feels like it's been a long time coming. It has been a long time coming. A thrill. We've had this date planned for a long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So, We're like, we talk about this shit when it's just the two of us. We might as well turn the microphones on. Yeah, the only difference is that there's no uh, whiskey around. But, you know, I do have my honey. Yes. You have your coffee. It does feel wrong that there's no rosé. Do all, do, do all the uncultured fucks know about your... Your rosé. <laughs> My rosé addiction. Um, I've had a few episodes where I've drunk rosé on the pod. How'd it go? Surprisingly okay. The episodes where I've had alcohol, I'm actually more coherent than when I don't. <laughs> it slows you down a little bit. Little bit. You operate on a, a higher plane than most of us, let's be honest. And I can't keep up. <laughs> I... I move with yourself. I can't. I move so fast. <laughs> Words start coming out, and I go, "What was I saying?" Yeah, you might need to. You could use a glass of rosé for for me to keep up with you, honestly, because my my Broadway knowledge is not as extensive as yours. Yes, but but Chel- I have a lot of thoughts, Chelsea. You had friends growing up, and that's why my knowledge oh, is so far ahead of yours. Wow. I mean, allegedly. Allegedly, I was mostly playing in the woods. Listen, trees are friends. Have you not seen Dear Evan Hansen? I have not seen Dear Evan. <laughs> I listened. Ironically, I think this episode is coming out after the Dear Evan Hansen episode. So yeah. there, there are going to be a lot of connections to the two. So I'm just letting everybody know I apologize if I repeat shit. But you know what? That's what you came here for. Because Chelsea Williams, mm. what musicale are we talking about today? I'm thrilled to announce that we will be talking about Heather's. The musical. Yes, one of two off-Broadway shows that we are covering in this series. Usually, we try to stick to Broadway, but we had to make an exception because this one was uh, submitted quite a few times mm. when I asked uh, people who listen to the podcast and people who go on my Instagram what it was a show that they considered problematic, and quite a few people said Heather's. And I'm interested to get into it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm interested to hear why people think it's problematic. I have my own thoughts, but... Yes. Well, so first of all, Again, I've been saying this a few times, but I like to I like to sort of 
check in and get back to the basics of every episode and, and repeat myself a few times before we delve into new territory. Problematic is a word that we've stated on this podcast already, people use incorrectly when they talk about shows mm-hmm. because problematic should be uh, applied to musicals or plays that don't work. Uh, you know, shows where the examples I always use are Merrily and Candide. Mm-hmm, Try mm-hmm. as they might, they can't ever make them uh, congeal. But now it's used to describe shows where people take moral issues mm-hmm. with the writing. Yeah. And as I've also said before on this podcast, 99% of the writers of these shows tend to fall on the liberal, progressive, democratic, mm-hmm. political spectrum. And the people who have the issues with the shows are on the democratic, liberal, progressive mm-hmm. end of the spectrum. So I'm like, these people are not hateful towards you know these issues. If you have issues with the show, that's a failing in the writing. But it's not like they sat there and went, let's write a show that talks about how gays are stupid and women suck. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not... That's not what they're trying to do, but that doesn't mean they don't always fail. Right. Um, so, Chelsea, for those who don't know, mm. what is Heather's the Musical about? Heather's the Musical is based on Heather's the Movie, which if you haven't seen, oh my God, how dare you? I, talk about hateful. Uh, Un- talk, talk about fucking uncultured. The mo- talk about fucking uncultured. I'm pretty sure it's on Criterion now. I don't know. It's, if they know uh, what's good for them, it yeah, should be. Yeah, it is a classic Winona Ryder uh, camp dreamscape. I love the movie. So the musical is based on the movie, and it's basically about a group of teenagers. It's about a high school uh, that is more or less run by three popular girls it's the mean girls before mean girls oh yeah like yeah without a doubt oh when when the mean girls movie first came out everyone was like what's this fucking heather's redux bullshit yeah but but mean girls is a very different kind of take and we'll we'll talk about some of the similarities of their approaches both the movies and the shows yeah um Yes, but so... Heather's dares to go a little further, in my opinion. Yes. Much darker. Yes, well, because of the, this group, there is one girl in the group. Let's let's try to stick to exactly the musical's telling, because th- mm-hmm. they make some changes overall, but the musical, it uh, there's an outsider girl named Veronica Sawyer who gets to join the Heathers mm-hmm. for a blissful three weeks, and then shit hits the fan. She meets an outsider named JD, mm-hmm. and together, what do they do, Chelsea? Uh, they essentially nearly blow up the high school mm-hmm. but they um they end up killing a few people in the process yes yeah the head heather two football jocks and to cover their tracks they make it look like suicides and veronica who is a master forger mm-hmm. makes their suicide notes and makes them very eloquent and deep and everyone just sort of flips their tune on these people who they all hated when they were alive yeah they end up making they they attempt to ruin these people's lives and end up making them more powerful post mortem. Absolutely, there. What this is? I mean, this is where you know that connection. Dear Evan Hansen comes in, y'all. Uh, Heather's did it first because the movie was eighty nine. So just know that Dan Waters, man, he was he was onto something, baby. Uh, how so, Chelsea? How did this show come into your life? Did it at all? It did. I managed to see it twice. It was. During a a different time in my life where I was much more interested in going for blood vocally, which explains why I would be so into something like Heather's, where as I listen to it now and it causes panic. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, I saw it twice off Broadway and I just thought it was so, you know, I didn't love everything about it, but there are some bangers in the score. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I still, every once in a while, I listen to Dead Girl Walking. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, 
the, this the uh, the off Broadway cast album is a wonderful gym album to listen to yeah. because I like to I do like to listen to musical theater when I'm at the gym. Uh, occasionally, I'll listen to the Barbie playlist I made for myself, but usually it's musical theater. It's like Wicked, it's Heather's, it's it's wow. shit like that. Legally Blonde, because I like I like having bops, but I also like having a structure. I like it when a song builds, and a lot oh, of pop sure. songs don't really build Again, that way. No, yeah. so I like that. And Heather's, I don't have to necessarily like think about it. I'll just listen to Beautiful. I'll listen to Dead Girl yeah. Walking, and it's Ugh, fine. Beautiful's a great opening. It is. There's a lot about this show that adheres very well to traditional musical theater, mm-hmm. and I want to commend that as we go forward because I'm going to have critiques about the show but I also and I was telling Chelsea before we got on mic I full transparency I have a lot of bias with this show because the movie is so important to me I love the movie so much I've known the movie since god like seventh grade I want to say I was that I was that kid where you know that's cool I respect that thank you yeah I, Winona Ryder has been very important to me for a very, mm-hmm. very long time. I am a giant homosexual, and she's extraordinarily You're she's, gay. I'm very gay. Oh my God, listen, you have me to thank for Stranger Things because I manifested Winona Ryder's comeback. Wow, I did. When Black Swan didn't do it, I was like, okay, come on, guys, let's let's really bring this bitch back. When and you then, you wanted her to be in Black Swan, she was in Black Swan. She was in Black Swan. She's the she's the ballerina Natalie Portman replaces. Winona Ryder? Yeah. She's the one uh, when Natalie Portman's uh, like, it's such an honor to re- to replace you in this company. And Winona, Winona Ryder says to her, what did you do to get this part? He always said you were such a frigid little girl. Did you suck his cock? Wow. Okay, I'm due for a rewatch. You are due for a rewatch. Speaking of Natalie Portman, y'all, May, December. Good watch. Um, oh. Oh, yeah. It's, All right. It's actually very similar to Heather's The Movie in the sense of, like, it's very ethereal. Mm. And it is knowingly campy which we throw that word around a lot now Mm -hmm. because people don't really know what it means but like knowingly campy is really just very smart melodrama Mm. uh, played extraordinarily well it's like John Waters it's Charles Bush and a lot of musicals lately have tried to do it and have all failed yeah Uh, I blame a lack of angry homosexuals on the creative teams they need to be on those creative teams if you're going to do quote-unquote knowing camp Mm -hmm. it tends to be a lot of straight men who are like we're allies and i'm like have you seen pink flamingos i don't think you have sometimes i think what makes something actual camp is is like not being totally aware of it being camp yeah well that's knowing yeah yeah that's what camp is supposed to be like you it's it's diana where you go so hard earnestly (laughs) miss the ball incredibly to the point that you like smack yourself in the head with the bat exactly and we all go that was drama yes and And that's the difference between the film and the stage version which once it hit the stage they knew the movie was camp so they were going for camp on stage and it almost ruins the effect yeah like the movie the movie is actually knowing camp because the movie is not earnest the movie is incredibly cynical Mm -hmm. and the musical so the musical came into my life because as we've mentioned i'm a giant homosexual Mm -hmm, i know mm -hmm. all the goings on of the theater and this show was written by larry o'keefe and kevin murphy larry o'keefe at that point, best known for Legally Blonde and Bat Boy, probably mm-hmm. still. And then Kevin Murphy, best known for the Reefer Madness musical. Love. Which, camp. That is camp. Let's talk yes. about camp. Oh, yeah, because ahead. well, because the original movie is so camp. Yeah. And that was and their tone was, let's play that shit up. And yeah. it's so good. They did like three readings of it in LA with Kristen Bell as Veronica Sawyer. 
and I would read about this because of the Reefer Madness connection. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I, I would. I, I would, knew Anna Lee Ashford did like a little. They moment. did. A, yeah. The, the New York premiere, technically speaking, was a concert at Joe's Pub. Right. Uh, in between Legally Blonde and Kinky Boots, like 2010. And she was Veronica. Uh, and then unknown Jeremy Jordan was JD or was he known at that point? I don't know if Bonnie and Clyde had happened mm-hmm. yet. Uh, okay. uh, yeah, Jenna Lee Green was the head Heather. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Snyder was one of the football jocks, and I've seen videos of it. It's it's fine. They uh, Annalie does not do all the vo- vocal pyrotechnics that have become known for that show. Yeah, but then they did the workshop production in LA with Barrett and Ryan. What's his, McCartan? McCartan. Yeah. He was great. He was very good. And then the show moved to New World Stages in March in 2014, where it played until August. And I saw it towards the end of the run when Barrett had left. And it was okay. Car- it was Carissa Hoagland, who was very good. Yes, I saw her. Did I? I think I see her. saw her go on as Heather Chandler. Probably. She went on a lot. One of Heather. the times that I saw it. Yeah, she was an ensemble girl who, that, who was who swung on a lot yeah. and her two main tracks were Heather Chandler and Veronica. Yeah. And she went on Damn. for, yeah, she went on for Heather Chandler a lot at the beginning and then she started going on for, for Veronica a lot. During <laughs> I the mean, yeah. Well, that girl's <sighs> voice is a beast. Yeah. Uh, some, I mean, some people's voices just like sit in a certain register and I think hers just naturally sits up there, which lucky for her. Just made of steel. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, she's in the very famous bootleg of the show as Heather Chandler that mm. has helped get that show, the cult following that it's gotten. Yeah. And she's very good. But Jessica, what's her name? Keenan. Yeah. Who played the original Heather Chandler. Very interesting sound, but I, I thought she was really great. She's a really great actor. Yeah. I so I saw her play Heather Chandler when I saw that towards the end of the run. And she was the only one acting style for me who got the tone of the movie. Exactly. Because she didn't play it up. Because the musical does play it up, which I don't love. Uh the the, mu- the movie is a very dark razor sharp comedy mm-hmm. very cynical like yes. very mean spirited yeah uh because it comes from a very angry place lots of suicide yeah and so like the movie it's important to re- uh, recognize where the movie was coming from because it comes out of the last like tail end of the 80s after a slew of john Holmes, not john waters Holmes. no not john waters uh john hughes john hughes john hughes movies breakfast club 16 Camp candles i know same we, we got it's all it's on there. John Hughes, yes. yeah. John Hughes, Ugh. Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink, some kind of wonderful. You know these movies that are very iconic, and so many of them are so wonderful. But like they're very hopeful, like mm-hmm. high school's an adventure, mm-hmm. sort of leaning into the Reaganomics Americana. Like you know, our country is number one, and like it's the land of opportunity if you have the gumption. What he's not saying is like you also need to have the money. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> Heather's basically was a was an argument to that of like high school is actually kind of the worst terrible yeah children are awful to each other yeah. like sociopathic towards each other and you know and adults are useless very much so yeah, yeah. and it, and no one really wanted to hear that at the time the movie was probably met with more critical acclaim than any of the John Hughes movies and bombed at the box office and then like almost immediately uh, got a following on home video. Mm-hmm. So like, even though people like to say, oh, like Heather's was such a box office disappointment. I'm like, but the turnaround was so quick because it immediately launched Winona Ryder and Christian Slater as movie stars, despite the fact that quote unquote, so no good. one saw it. Ugh. Another so good. Yeah. Hot. 
Oh, yeah. Hot couple. Hot couple. How do we get into this? Because I'm just talking about the movie right now. And I'm going to talk about the movie a lot. So just buckle yeah. up, kids. Yeah. I'm going to try to talk about the musical objectively as much as I can. Okay, you know what? <clears throat> Here's what we're going to do. Okay. When I asked people to give me topics they wanted us to cover for this episode, the number one thing mentioned all the time was that one of the big changes they made when the show went to London. Because it was not in the West End at first. It was some like off West End production that then transferred and sold out and was like a really, really big hit. And they made a lot they made a lot of changes to it. <clears throat> One of the big ones was a song for Kurt and Ram, the two main mm-hmm. high school jocks who JD and Veronica end up killing. And the song in Deeply problematic problematic characters. But like written to be prob- problematic. Yes. Well, so this is the part where I I would use problematic in the sense of I just I think that the writers kept on hitting their head against the wall for a moment that they shouldn't have worried about, which is in the movie mm-hmm, after mm-hmm. Heather Chandler has been no more. And that's yeah, what sure. better way to say it. Uh-huh. And uh, they have her funeral, and all this stuff in the movie. Uh, the second Heather, Heather McNamara asks Veronica, if she will go on a double date with her and Curtin ran the football jocks mm-hmm. and Veronica's already with, JD at this point, but she was like, "Fine, I'll do. I'll do you this favor." And in the movie, you know, they the football jocks get drunk and they take them out to the field for cow tipping, and then they immediately smash cut to uh, Ram date raping McNamara while Veronica sort of like stalks away, and then JD takes her uh, away from there, and then other things happen, which we'll get to. It's dark, y'all. Yeah. Well, and and. And the way, if you, re- I, I went into the screenplay to see if, like, it was written in a specific kind of way, if it was more interpretational, whatever. In the movie, in the screenplay, it's not written outwardly that that's what uh, Ram is doing. Rather, he's saying, like, he is on top of a dispirited McNamara. And the director, I think, was like, let's go even hard on that. Let's not make it like she's not into it. Let's make it like she's actually She's resisting. Yeah, she's resisting. And... Uh, later on when she describes the encounter, she just describes it as sex, which I think is more of a comment on that kind of culture than her, what she actually was experiencing in the moment. But <clears throat> O'Keefe and Murphy were like, okay, let's make this scene a musical number, which is, in my mind... Dare we say problematic? problematic. Yeah. <laughs> And so the the original song was called Blue, and it was a comedy song Uh where in it, Veronica goes, answers a call from McNamara and Duke, who are on this double date with Kurt and Ram, and she literally says like, oh, so to save yourselves from date rape, you're setting me up for date rape? And McNamara goes, God, you make it sound so bad. Yeah. Which is a fun line, but but it's not as smart. It's, It's more jokey, whereas the movie, it's a little more twisted. And the curtain ran then just saying like this big kind of like clownish number about mm-hmm. like, Veronica, you make my buzz blue. And then they got some pushback on it when people saw the show because some people were like, oh, you're making fun of date rape. I'm like, I don't think they're making fun of date rape. I think they're just not they, – they just did a bad job, which – Yeah, I think they're making fun of men. They absolutely like are. teenage boys being idiots. Absolute idiots. But I read this article that O'Keefe and Murphy wrote for Playbill as they were uh, making changes to Heathers for the West End. And they said, one of the things we have done is we've cut blue and we wrote a new song because we think we can do better. And they were still in the process. Like some other changes hadn't been done yet that they were hinting that they might do. 
And they said, you know, we got a lot of complaints by, from people that thought we were making fun of date rape. I'm like, we uh, we do not condone it in any way. We don't think it's funny. Hot take, not a good thing. Uh, I'm like, oh my God, you're so brave. Please say it louder for the people in the back. We as men do not endorse date rape. Thank you so much, yeah. O'Keefe and Murphy. Really, again, these progressive liberals. Democrats writing musicals. Wow. Just putting themselves out on the line by saying it. Oh my God. I know they're really sacrificing self. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But so they write this new song called You're Welcome, which is more of like, I don't want to call it darker so much as that it, they, what they said was they wanted to make it much more clear the danger of the situation and they wanted Veronica to have an inner monologue in the moment, which is what it is. She's like, She's calculating the risk and how she's going to get out of it, which Mm -hmm. she does do. And my honest take is there just should be no song there. Yeah, I agree. We don't need one. We don't need one. It's all right. It can just be a scene. It can just be a scene. And the scene does need to be there because when Veronica rejects Kurt in the movie as well as in the show, he retaliates the next day by telling everyone at school that he and Ram had a threesome with her. Yes. Um... Which, first of all, the seven, seventh grade, not out of the closet gay boy in me, when I watched the movie, the actors playing Kurt and Ram are very attractive people. And part like, of me was like, please, I, please show the threesome. Yes. Because <laughs> I was like, how dare they lie about that when I would have done so willingly. <laughs> like, they didn't need to be drunk. But I, I would have sent them out uh, handwritten invitations to my home. Be like, sword fight here. Yes, you please. You are cordially invited on Sunday, December. <laughs> to December, December 3rd to a threesome with Matt Coplick on the Lazy Susan. Yes. <laughs> Spin him right around a bit. Back and forth, back and forth. Cheers. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't they get rid of the song that was in the off-Broadway version? Isn't isn't there a little, a little song about slut-shaming Veronica at school the next day? Yeah. It's, um... And I'm pretty sure that they got rid of that for the West End. Yeah, because it's a reprise of the song Blue. Yeah. And I actually and it's like the one thing about Blue that I like is that I think that reprise does pay off a little bit. Yeah. I mean again, it's is it a little simplistic? Yes. But it is it's slut shaming and it's Heather Duke sort of taking the narrative that Veronica had this three way and using it to slander Veronica's name very quickly. The two reprises they give Heather Duke in the off Broadway version, like those are Solid reprises, because then she also has the Shine a Light reprise mm-hmm. for McNamara, which are some of my better, my favorite lyrics in the show. Mm-hmm. But also, like, there's so little nuance in so many modern day musicals, and I don't think that the writers of Heather's The Musical are interested in that kind of nuance. They kind of, from what I gathered from all the information I read, they were much more interested in the hero's journey of Veronica yeah. than on the social commentary of the piece. Because in the movie, Veronica's not a nice person. No. Which she, makes her a very interesting character. Yeah. Actually, no, let me take that back. Veronica's not a kind person. She's nice. She's not kind. Because... She has motives that are very, like, very much, um, you know, she's self-motivated to become popular, to yeah. get out of her small town, to go to an Ivy League school, to... Yeah. Yeah. So it's very interesting to think about uh, where the musical and the movie start. Because in the musical, it starts with senior year Veronica's unpopular and the whole opening number is how she gets in line with the Heathers Mm -hmm. and the movie she's already popular and it's junior year and she's from what we understand has been popular for a very long time at this point Veronica? yeah when the movie when the movie begins she's already with the Heathers there um, and like there's already a rapport that gives you the indication that they've been a group for a while now Mm -hmm. because Veronica's 
over it. She's she's not happy in her situation anymore. And yes, okay, now it's coming back. Yes, like she and Heather, she and Heather Chandler, the one that everybody fears. Like Veronica's the only one who doesn't have like outward fear of Heather Chandler in the movie. She she's the only one who's ever able to kind of like talk back to her a little bit. She can't talk back that much as we learned there's there's a boundary but in the opening scene she's the only one who like actually converses with her whereas mm-hmm. everyone else like bows down to yeah. her it's a different perspective whereas in the musical she's an outsider who becomes popular for 3 weeks and then it's sort of watching her you know sort of fight to survive the movie you know uh, Larry O'Keefe and Kevin Murphy were like we really wanted to know like how could such a a nice smart empathetic girl get dragged into such a horrible scheme with JD. I'm like, she's not that sweet in the movie. She's pretty complicit. She does a lot of shitty things because even though she complains that Heather Chandler is a monster, that the hierarchy is unfair, she benefits from it. Yeah. And she doesn't want to lose her privilege, but she just wants everyone to get along, which is ultimately what I love about how the movie ends is like the change she makes is simply by going up to Martha Dunstock and saying, do you want to hang out tonight? Mm-hmm. I'm using my social cachet to offer you a helping hand. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like, oh, let me like try to, you know, take down this one monster behind the scenes and that other monster and then everything will be good. And the musical is, you know, no, let's watch this, like, hero fight against adversity. I'm like, Veronica's kind of an anti-hero, but the musical's not interested in that. They want, it to, they want the audience to like her as well as root for her. Mm. And I think in the movie, you root for her even when you don't always like her. Mm. Interesting. I do think the, the, like, the, the moral dilemma that she goes through in the musical, you know, with writing the... The letter, the fake letter that Martha receives that she thinks is from her crush. I can't remember if it's Ram or... Yeah, it's Ram. Yeah, Ram. Um, and then she reveals... You know, she she has to go through a lot where she reckons with being a shitty person in order to benefit from being around the Heathers. And that, to me, is interesting to watch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 compelling musical theater. This is where, like, my bias comes in. Like, they're, they're on a musical theater level, they're doing what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why am I not... Thrilled. But there is more of a desperation in the musical, whereas Winona's Veronica, to me, is just kind of bored. Yeah. Which makes her a little, yeah, like not as kind. The fact that she's just kind of like toying with people like JD, who has this danger to him, and she's bored with the dynamic that she has with the Heathers. So she's like, how can I kind of, you know, yeah. disrupt this, be a little chaotic? Yeah, because the role of Martha Dunstock in the musical is a combination of two characters in the movie, Martha Dunstock and Betty Finn. Okay, yeah, Betty. Yeah, Betty is, in the movie, Veronica's childhood friend. Yeah. Who she hasn't really been friends with for years now. Um, but she's, like, still nice to her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whenever... But she, they never hang out. There's, like, a moment where, <clears throat> in the opening sequence, uh, you know, Veronica apologizes for not being able to make it to Betty's party. And she's like, oh, it's okay, you had a date. I understand. And, like... Which is just, you know, Veronica doesn't go to an event that she's personally invited to for a date. It's not like she had a college interview or, like, something real. It was something that you could always Reschedule, shift. yeah. yeah. Um, and in the movie, Martha Dunstock is a character we never hear from until the very, very end. She has no lines ever. And she's a punching bag all the time simply because of how she looks. Yeah. She's heavier. She's a little, I, I'm sorry to, you know, use gender norms, but like she's a little butch looking. And in 1989, Ohio, mm-hmm. where gender norms are the status, mm-hmm. where money very is... Very binary. Ex- very binary. And like, 
there's a there's a very specific kind of look you have to have, uh, which we can also talk about with casting with the musical as well. But like, there's a very famous story that no one on a writer really wanted to play Veronica, and I think they were looking for Jennifer Connelly, who had just done Labyrinth, Ooh. who was you know very beautiful woman. But the writer and director of Heather's, she, you know, Winona had just done Beetlejuice. They're like, you're not pretty enough. Which that is insane. I know. Well, to, uh, we look back and we're like, that's insane. And Winona's always like, to be fair to them, like they had only seen me in Beetlejuice where I look like a ghoul. And and for and for but like still, I, I know. Don't know. Yeah, no, but the like Hollywood of it all. Yeah, but the thing with Heather's is like, it's not just that you have to be pretty. Like, it's a very specific, uh, stereotypical, what America has told. Mm-hmm. young girls for decades now is pretty. Yeah. Which is thin, fluffy hair, a certain kind of makeup. Like, it's it's not so much objectively pretty so much as it's a specific kind of look. Mm-hmm. And that's important because the only reason why Veronica is in the Heathers is because she also has money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something happens when, you, when children start to develop and hormones and sexual attraction come into play. You start to recognize, like, who's attracting other people based solely on their Mm -hmm. looks. Which is power. Absolute power. (laughs) And especially for, you know, someone like Heather Chandler recognizing that Veronica is just as stereotypically attractive as she is. Mm -hmm. She's like, the only way that this girl will not undermine my authority is if she joins. allies. Exactly. So, like, the the musical makes it that Veronica joins senior year of high school. They don't ever say in the movie when it happens. My theory is that it happened sometime in middle school. Yeah, they like grew up together. They've yeah. known each other for a long they time. All, yeah, they all grew up together. And then some, we're in middle school and they all started to develop. Veronica joined the, the clique. And she willingly did so because they had influence. It made sense. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, I mean, Heather even says to her in the movie at some point, like, you used to have a sense of humor. Which means like for a long time, Veronica was totally okay with everything that yeah. they all did. It's only recently that she's having this existential crisis. Yes. Yeah. What's a song you really love in this musical and why? Okay. There's a couple. Obviously, Dead Girl Walking. Mm-hmm. Great song. It's a great, great build, like you were talking about. Um, it's, it as a, oh God, how old was I when I came out? Like 22-year-old. When I first saw it, it was like vocally everything I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Now, not so much. Sure. <laughs> We're playing a little safer these days. But um, yeah, I was a big fan of Barrett Wilbert Weed back in the day. And I just thought she was incredible and had such a unique sound. And I loved the darkness of it and how open she was about being a sexual teenager. And like she's drunk in the song. It's very messy. It's very forward. It's very edgy. I also love JD's song "Meant to Be Yours," mm. and I dream, I dream of singing that in some sort of, you know, not that we have gender bent cabarets anymore. We're a little past that, but you know what I mean. I, I'd love to, I'd love to give that one a go. Is pronoun showdown no longer happening? If I feel below? like probably not. <laughs> I hope not. I, I don't know. I don't pay attention. I just like remember for a while. I, there every like every three months there'd be some like slew of videos. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize by the way that pronoun showdown was like it's not just gender bent, but also like you have to change all of the pronouns too. Yeah. So like. Ryan McCartan did do Dead Girl Walking, but he did it from the point of view of JD. So it's yeah. like, you had to wake me. And I'm like, just sing the song with yeah. the lyrics. I don't fucking care. Yeah. Like, who doesn't, who can't relate to the lyric? I, sim- I uh, see, I decided I must ride you till I break you. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry. That's everyone. Every I'm single hot person. Hot and pissed and, and on, on the, the pill. pill. Yeah. I mean, the song ends. 
if you haven't seen it on stage, if you've only listened to it, the very end of the song where they're, they are literally fucking. Yeah. And the final, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's riding him. Yeah. Shirt off, bra on. And I just, I just, in the audience as a young person, I was like, well, this is a thrill and a half. Like, mm-hmm. this is what I like. Considering that so many musicals are very, like, tame and, you know, sex is not really portrayed. It's only implied or, like, it's it's more about romance and less about, like, sexual desire. Yeah. And that's something that I loved about Heather's is how, like, raunchy and real in that way it was of, like, ha- having this this boundless sexual energy as a teenager, very hormonal. And I thought that they capture that pretty well in that song. And also I could really relate to being attracted to this dark energy of JD. I'll admit it. It's fine. There's something so twisted about their love affair and um, toxic. And I just thought it was extremely hot back in the day. Christian Slater too. You know, just, just, you know, you remember those, those guys that are just like slightly unhinged and you see them and you're like, you would do things to me that like all these other men on hinge are like claim to want to do, but <laughs> really <laughs> it comes down to it. Ah! JD will toss you around. Yeah, although I mean in the show, she's the one who's breaking him. Right. Yeah. So Because I think it unlocks something for her. And, and and that eventually unlocks something in him. They talk about this with the writing of the show. We're like, in the movie, JD's much more of a sociopath who, like, plots throughout. And Veronica is kind of along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And the musical, they what they chose, which I think is actually a very interesting uh, way to go about it, is they make him a, you know, very in-pain teenager who's, you know, the first... 20-ish minutes numb inside, which is literally a lyric in Dead Girl Walking. But when in Dead Girl Walking, there's that bridge <clears throat> where Veronica says to him, like, you know, you say you're numb inside, but I don't agree. And then he eventually says later on in the musical, like, you unlocked something in me. Yeah. And now, like, all of my feelings are coming out. Yeah. And the it's sort of like... um. JD's had a breakthrough, but the problem with the breakthrough is, like, there isn't growth behind it. It's, like, it's just pure chaos and madness. Yeah, he needs to be medicated. Absolutely. <laughs> but that that edge that you talk about, I think it's, like, an excitement that of something that's new and different that mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, it never ends out, up well for anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime, you know... Like, it might feel good to have someone be obsessed with you, but it's never going to end well. Exactly. Like... Every time there's, like, the quote-unquote bad boy in any work, any story, it never ends well, you know? Uh, we talk about Gilmore Girls and people were so Team Jess. I was Team Jess when I was a kid. And I look back on it now and I look at that storyline it's so fascinating because you could call the Rory Jess thing problematic, but Amy Sherman Palladino, to her credit, like, very much acknowledges early on that this relationship is not a good idea and it's not going to end well. And, uh, you know, you become a lesser version of yourself when you start catering to the needs of someone who has nothing figured out for themselves at all. You lose part of yourself as you try to adhere to what to the randomness of this bad boy persona, mm. you know? I feel like I know... I, I've never seen Gilmore Girls. Hateful. <laughs> but I... <laughs> but I feel like this is a very classic trope of a relationship yeah I, I i'm sure i understand what you mean yeah well so i mean listen uh 
one thing that somebody wrote in was like hateful, hateful so hateful. <laughs> oh, actually, before we go any further, we have to take a quick break. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back. <laughs> we're back. Well, welcome to the pod, Chelsea, where we have monetization. Mm. We have commercial. I'm thing. happy for you. Thank you. I make dollars upon dollars. <sighs> yes. I had make enough money per month to see a movie. For now. For now. Actually, now I would say I make enough money to see three movies a month. Wow. Do you want to yeah. sponsor, Matt? You want to sponsor Broadway Breakdown? Come on. Yeah, come call on. Your, call your people. Call your representatives, people. Yes, you did. We got George Santos out of Congress. Now let's do it again. <laughs> yeah. Let's get me in Congress. Yes. Oh my God. Let's burn this shit <laughs> to the ground. Oh God. If I would get in there, I would just start riding everyone while singing "Dead Girl Walking," and we would get shit done. <laughs> yes. Actually, one, uh, one thing I do love about "Dead Girl Walking" just is the truly the agency of Veronica in that number yeah. of of just the. It's really satisfying. Dead Girl Walking in the musical is so satisfying because it's right after she goes to this hellish party where a lot of shit goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, she throws up on Heather Chandler and everyone turns against her. And after she's worked so hard to rise in the ranks with the Heathers, they're like, you're going to be essentially canceled mm-hmm. at school. Like you couldn't transfer anywhere where you'd be safe after yeah. this. So she's like, fuck it all. I'm going to go for what I really want. And I'm going to fuck this, like, crazy guy who's been obsessed with me. And it just, like, it was very thrilling to watch. I just remember being like, yes, yeah. like, the chaos, go for it. It's And it, it's matched musically. Yeah. I Remind me, I want to talk about the party. Because mm. that's actually something where I think they, in my opinion, actually shat the bed. Ooh. Based on the, the the party in the movie and how it is in the show. Where I'm like, I don't think you understand the details of the party of the movie. Mm. Um, but then that's juxtaposed by Dead Girl Walking. Where I'm like, oh, here's a change I like. Yeah. And a song where, again, as you said, like the music does match that energy. Yes. And it does build in a really satisfying way. And I think the lyrics are very clever. Yeah. Um, Come on, you know the drill. I'm hot and pissed and on the pill. So fucking mm-hmm. good. And. I think what I like about what Barrett does in it is she has that blase attitude that Winona is so perfect of in the movie, juxtaposed with the like ferociousness of the vocals. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like she's she's not playing it up in a way that I think a lot of Veronicas have in you know uh, subsequent amateur productions mm-hmm. or regional productions. Mm-hmm. She's just the dryness of her tone makes it funnier. Yeah. The dead face of her. And, yeah. and all that. I don't really want like a wholesome Veronica. I don't want a Veronica that's like a classic ingenue. Yeah. Which, and I think part of my issue is reading what Kevin Murphy and Larry O'Keefe talk about with writing the musical, even though like it is 
bonkers and edgy in all these ways because it has to be if it's based off of the movie. Like they did go for ultimately a more wholesome Heather's when musicalizing it. Mm. Like that, they they kept saying was we kept thinking about the positive, keep playing the positive. I'm like, it's fucking Heather's, dude. Right. There is no positive. Yeah. It's all acid laced candy. Yeah. But. I digress. <laughs> what is a song you don't like besides Blue, obviously? I don't like Candy Store. I'll just say it. Mm. Do you? <sighs> Do I like it? No. I, I bring that one up because it's. I feel like that's one of the more popular songs from the show. It is. And it just doesn't hit for me. Do I like it? No. Do I listen to it on the treadmill? Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's a song where it's not unmelodic. It's not like the lyrics are terrible. For me, it's just not a number that Heather Chandler sings. Okay. Does that make sense? No. So like <laughs> <laughs> This is guys, this is how you know Chelsea Williams and I have known each other for 15 years. Jesus Christ. She she will tell me straight out, you're making no sense. Explain okay, yeah. yourself. You're, you're going to have to um give me a second second try here. Well, so okay. Here is something that I actually appreciated about the Mean Girls musical. And I say something because it's like one of five things. When they introduce Regina George in the musical, her opening number is not a high belting number. It's it's very quiet. It's low. It's sultry. And Jeff Richmond, the composer slash Tina Fey's husband, said he had this idea of Regina George being in, uh, introduced as like a Bond villain. He goes, and Bond villains never come in with a bang. They come in very quietly cool. yeah exactly because they've got nothing to prove yeah it was and i loved that and I, I have audio of the very ver- first preview of mean girls in dc and when taylor begins that my name is richie the audience loses it yeah because they they are expecting candy store but instead they get golden eye the theme song yeah and very it, smart very smart and they, you get the payoff later when she sings her huge yeah when she sings world burn and, yeah. and i mean that's the other one the other songs uh and listen i have issues with mean girls as well i've yeah. talked about it before every song in mean girls for the most part is melody 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 final verse goes up the octave and then they close it out i'm like that's not a build and agreed, you're just, and you're and you're destroying women's voices but we will get to that subject God, later help help sos sos stop ruining women Jesus. i love them too much they give me so much in this world but um we'll get to destroying voices later as we talk about heathers but <clears throat> uh this, this is true but yeah, oh yeah uh, yeah but so like with with heather chandler I guess this is how I can also sort of talk about the party. I'm going to talk about an element of the party as I talk about Heather Chandler, and then we'll talk about it more so later. But Heather is truly a cool, calm, collected dictator of her school. She doesn't rule necessarily with fear, not outward fear anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's not brazen. She's never trying that hard. No, she's very confident. There's, There's a great moment in the movie in that opening sequence in the cafeteria when they're doing the lunchtime poll. Oh, I just, I just, I'm sorry. I just love the movie so paint, much. Paint the picture. Paint the picture. So Heather Chandler in the movie, one of her things is like she would always conduct the lunchtime poll that would get put in the newspaper every week. And so Heather always has to come up with the question. And it's, it's a dumb, dumb question of like, you, you win that publisher sweepstake competition and the same day that you get the five million dollar check aliens land on the earth and say they're going to blow it up in two days what do you do with the money and like veronica has to stand there as they go to like all the popular kids and like roll her eyes and ultimately veronica convinces heather to talk to like the less popular people just by like outwardly being a bitch to the to the popular rich kids but one of the things she says to her is like doesn't it bother you that everyone in the school thinks you're a piranha and heather says without missing a beat 
I could give a shit. They all want me as a friend or a fuck. I am worshipped at Westerberg, and I'm only a junior. And she says it with such authority. Um, Fuck me gently with a chainsaw. Do I look like Mother Teresa to you? Oh, my God. I need it as a bumper sticker. I need it as a T-shirt. Absolutely. I need it on a hat. But, like... Fuck me gently with a chainsaw. But Heather also knows the importance of decorum. Like, you don't outwardly mock people. You do it privately and very intelligently. Because when they're doing... The whole conversation happens because they're doing the the question to a bunch of the yuppie kids. And no one actually likes Heather. Like, they're like, oh, fuck, here she comes. And then she shows up. And the moment Heather compliments, like, one of their cardigans, they get, like, very flustered. And when one of the girls goes, if I had that money, I'd give it all to the homeless, every cent. And Veronica just looks at her and goes, you're beautiful. And (laughs) walks away. And Heather goes, if you're going to outwardly be a bitch. Like, (laughs) she's like, you can't just do that. Yeah, it's so twisted. Like, Heather is so calculated and evil but she's like you don't do that in public you idiot there are rules there there are rules but what that that calm cool collectedness is important to heather which is why i think candy store is not her song she needs a song that is much more like that kind of energy that i my name is regina george number i don't love the like it's a it's a fun bop of a number that like if you were to tell me you know in the sense of like no yeah yeah it's not unmelodic i just don't think it fits I mean, I I didn't even like the choreography. Oh, I don't like the choreography of the original production. I think it's messy. Yeah, totally. And just kind of basic. Like, I I just, of Candy Store specifically, I was like, eh, you know, I don't know. Well, they play into the, like, the sexiness of it. That The thing you love so much about Dead Girl Walking is actually the opposite of that in Candy Store. Which I think you could argue, if it were done better, is a commentary. The Heathers play sex, but Heather actually goes out and rides someone. Yeah. But but Veronica does. Oh, sorry, yeah. Veronica. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but I don't think that the choreography is good enough for that to really land. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because the, the Heathers don't in the movie they don't play sexy; they just play power. Yeah, they're they've got nothing to prove. They're just so naturally beautiful. Everybody wants them. Yes. Uh, and like, it's, and so fascinating is the way that like Veronica dresses. Veronica doesn't dress super feminine. Like she has these giant overcoats and like big padded shoulders and yet all the guys in school are still like I want her over most of the other Heathers and it's that sort of not caring attitude of like it I'm it doesn't matter what I wear even though what I wear still happens to be iconic and there's such a try hard quality to some to a lot of the music of Heathers and how they musicalize those characters that I don't get the power I just get you know edgy yeah yeah I I am reminded of The line, I think it's in the opening. It's in Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, when the Heathers are first being introduced. Yeah. And that guy, just random random ensemble guy, says, I'd like to le- I'd like to photograph Heather naked and tied up in an abandoned warehouse and leave her for the rats. <laughs> I, I honestly that that to me did capture the spirit of the movie in 1,000%. that these people laud the Heathers they they're obsessed with them they would do anything for them and they fantasize about doing the worst things to them like that encapsulates the Heathers on the whole completely in that we like we follow these rules and we we respect the chain of command but we wish secretly that we could just like tear them to bits and like we fantasize about the worst possible things like everyone's a bad person yeah everyone we're all selfish assholes. Yeah, like we're, no one is an angel. We're toxic meatbags roaming this earth. Yes, and I love that. Yeah. Like that's, the Heathers makes the movie specifically, 
I think appealed to me so much when I first saw it because I was like, yes, I'm a shitbag. I'm terrible. I love, we're all, we all suck. Like, why are we all pretending like we're a- angels or we, like our moral compasses are actually, I mean, of course they are. We're, okay, we'll pretend that they're getting us somewhere. They are. We all have an ethical code, mm-hmm. but like we all also have deep, dark, twisted fantasies. And I like that. I, I like that the film really puts that on display. I mean, we're all just naturally predators. Right. And it's our, it's our more developed brains that have taught us the immorality of just constantly being on the defense and on the prowl. Mm. B- but that clashes within us all the time. I mean, listen, you and I both have had life experiences that have taught us that, how like we do this, how other people do this. Mm-hmm. Every time we think we've become more evolved as a species – something happens in our lives where we go, oh, right, we're all just toxic animals. Yeah, who- Ellen, you know, like huge, like these icons, everyone has skeletons in their closet. Everyone yeah. has deep, desi- dark desires that they wouldn't want yeah. out in the public. And we secretly, I mean, I will speak for you all when I say we secretly love it. When it comes out that someone who has been revered as being perfect is actually just like the rest of us in that they can be mean, they can be foul, they want to have weird sex, they want to like, you know, it's yeah. like, it's human. And and our predatorial instincts kick in when that happens, because then rather than say, oh, rather than us going, oh, you're human too, and I recognize that, that makes me feel better, it's I can feel even better now of tearing you down. Yeah. This... Especially women. Ooh. Oh, especially. We love women. to tear them down. Oh sure, oh sure. <laughs> I love nothing more than to tear down a powerful woman. It makes me forget for five minutes that I have absolutely no footprint in this world when I say that Hel- Ellen DeGeneres can go to Helen. Yeah, wow. Some of your finest work. Some of my finest work. I'm. A we work- love women. Speak for yourself. Bro- <laughs> you don't speak for everyone, Chelsea Williams. Broadway Breakdown hates women. I'm a proud woman. Yeah, you want to keep that secret. <laughs> Only men are allowed to be proud women, okay? Oh, my God. Have we learned it's 2023. Nothing- <laughs> <laughs> Is it, though? Have we learned nothing from this, in- from this entire series, from this, in- from this industry? The only people who are allowed to be proud women are men. Wait, okay, I want to know which song you really like. I do like Dead Girl Walking. Bop, bop, bop. Um, my issue with Heather's often is my contrast of this really works as a musical theater song, but I don't think it always works for Heather's. It's similar yeah. to me with the Wild Party, the Andrew Lippa version, where I'm like, mm-hmm. you made this poem fit relatively well for the structural structure of musical theater, but I don't think you actually did justice to the poem. Beca- okay. Um, which we don't have to get into. I've talked about that enough already, but... Love the Wild Party. I love the Lacusa Wild Party, and I love songs from the Lippa Wild Party. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I, those I've done that show, and when I see people do songs from it in cabarets, I'm like, "Fuck yeah, this song slaps!" Mm-hmm, and then you it watch, really does. And then you watch it in context, and you're like, "Okay, see, I've never." Yeah, that's my problem. I've never seen it on stage, but yeah. that the cast recording, cast recording's great, lives with me. Yeah, th- those vocals are insane. Uh, and I had, I did have a very long conversation with someone involved with the Lipa Wild Party, accidentally. Uh, so. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. We're back. To, we're back on the tangents. But um, so, like, I make jokes of like I'm the least famous Broadway podcaster and all this other shit. And like the truth for now. But the, but the truth is, like, I in the last like two years, I have gotten to know a lot more people in the industry. I'm not. I wouldn't say that I'm like a part of it, but I, I am. I know people now, so I I'm a little more careful about like when I'm being a twat about my opinions. Yeah. But so I. 
had someone write a review of the podcast a while back that was like, I love this podcast and Matt will tell you like all the right things, like which one's the better wild party? And someone involved in the Lippa one saw it and he was like, so which is the better one? I was like, well, do you want me to actually like It's talk- a matter of opinion. Yeah. And by, I was like, by the way, we're having this conversation while you're at your lake house and I'm at my desk job for my temp job. Like, can recognize the, yeah, yeah, the levels yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like, I don't love that I have to talk you off the ledge right now with, you know, your comfort. But um, this person is a friend and like, it was just me saying like, here's what I like and don't like about this Lippa version and what I do and don't like about the Lacusa one. And bringing it back to Heather's, ultimately it was, you know, the poem of the wild party is plotless. But it is a very dark, cynical look into monsters of human beings, mm-hmm. especially in the entertainment industry, which it was like the first expose of, hey, those entertainers who make you laugh and cry in the theater, when they go home, they fuck like weirdos and oh, they do yeah. coke and they do all these crazy oh, yeah. things. Depraved. Yeah. Which we all are. Yep. Think, I mean, think about the worst thing any person's ever done in your life. Like, I guarantee you they've done something worse than what you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just who we are. Yeah. And the point, the hope is you learn from it, bounce back from it, and try not to get that dark again. But the Lippa one's like, I want to add catharsis. I want to add, um, you know, an origin story to the Queenie Burr's relationship and all this stuff. And Lacuse's version is like, it doesn't matter how Queenie and Burr's met. They're here now. They're fucking. It's miserable because it's violent and abusive. And like, we have empathy for them as human beings, but we also don't have sympathy for them. Mm. And I think... Lippo wants to add empathy and sympathy mm. and it's the same thing with the Heathers musical they want sympathy for JD and Veronica whereas the movie's like you can empathize because yeah. who doesn't feel like an outsider who doesn't feel like right. pressure's always coming down on you but don't sympathize with them like even Veronica yeah they're making bad choices constant bad choices there is a great twist of a moment in the movie which they turn into a number in the show when so when Kurt and Ram tell everyone that they had the sword fight in Veronica's mouth in the movie and in the musical, which women look at that and they go, how dare they? And I look at that and I'm like, please tell everyone that we did it. Wow, so- sounds uncomfortable. Chelsea, don't. the best work you do comes when you're uncomfortable. <laughs> oh my God. It's like you didn't go to theater school. <laughs> Kurt. Okay, what's the song that comes out of this moment? Chelsea, how okay. dare you bring us back to the topic? But so, she... Uh, Veronica and JD get their revenge by staging Kurt and Ram in a double suicide situation with a homo letter erotic. With, with yes, with a letter claiming that they were lovers and that the homophobia of the world meant that they couldn't survive it, mm-hmm. uh, which is of course not true. It was it was them having uh, fun at their expense. Veronica choosing to believe that the bullets they have are tranquilizer darts, and then learning too late that they're not. Yeah, and at their funeral. I think it's Ram's dad or Kurt's dad. It doesn't matter who. In the movie, he you know, is crying over his son's body and says, I love my dead gay son. And that becomes... <laughs> Iconic. A, I, great, great line. And it becomes... Needed on a shirt. Yes, and it becomes a, the, a number in Act 2 because uh, it's such an iconic line. But what the movie does with that line is, you know, JD and Veronica are at the funeral and it's the second one they've been to because Heather Chandler had a funeral. Mm-hmm. And... Veron- and JD whispers in Veronica's ear, how do you think he would have felt about a gay son with a pulse? Ultimately saying, like, you know, if he were alive, you would not love your dead exactly. gay son. And it makes Veronica start to laugh. And as she's laughing, a little girl in the front row who's probably, like, Kurt or Ram's sister, yeah. wearing their letter jacket, turns around, hearing it, with tears in her eyes, and it makes Veronica stop. And she realizes, like, we're having fun at their expense, but, like, people are being affected by our actions. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's just a quick moment. And it's a turning point for her for sure. Because at the Oof. at that time, all she can think about is like the awfulness of the people that they have killed. In her, the it, power and control that they they have over these people, they're playing people like puppets. Yeah, and JD keeps convincing Veronica that they've been doing the right things. Heather Chandler was a monster. We did the right thing by getting rid of her. And hey, by the way, we accidentally did her a solid by writing her this beautiful suicide mm-hmm. note. So now people think she's someone she never actually was. And Curtin Ram. <clears throat> And uh, what JD says to her is like, you know, they. What does it matter if they're dead? What were they going to contribute to the world but more pain? Right. And so Veronica's like, sure, you're right. And then she was like, but we, ha- but like we've actually caused pain now because they're people who did love these guys, and they are going to be forever traumatized by this. Isn't there? There's a line in the musical in the opening number where Veronica says she's introducing Ram or yeah. the other one. She's like. He's the smartest guy on the football team, which is kind of like, and then I think she says something about like oh, little people. Yes. Well, she, <laughs> which is, she says, it's kind of like being the tallest dwarf. Mm. That, there it is. That's the line. There it is. Uh, going back to that party I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So this is a detail that I think is very important to the person that Heather Chandler is. And again, how she sort of rules the school. In the musicale. Yeah. It is a high school party yes. that everyone is at. Mm-hmm. And and yes. and depending on your staging, Heather Chandler could be making out with Kurt or Ram, it doesn't matter who. But I know in the I think in the off Broadway one she's she's basically like dry humping Kurt. In the movie, it is not the high school party they go to, it is a college party. Ooh. Heather stakes Ch- are a little higher. A little higher. Ch- Heather Chandler does not go to high school parties. She only goes to college parties. Oof. Yeah. And in fact, there's a line she has with Veronica when they're playing croquet, which I don't think they actually ever do in the musical. Yes, no, wait, okay. they do. This Very quickly. Yeah. They do. They play croquet like for one second, yeah. I remember. Yeah. But they're playing croquet, and it's after JD has um, shot blanks at Curtin Ram in the movie, and they're talking about like who he is and how crazy he is. And Heather says to Veronica, like, you sound pretty interested. I thought you'd given up on high school boys, uh, implying that Veronica has sort of taken Heather Chandler's lead of, you know, high school guys are. Are their children? We, yeah, we go for older men, mm-hmm. and she brings Veronica along, just the two of them to this college party, and so while Heather plays a big game in high school because she's the biggest fish in a small pond, at the party you see how she's, even though they've leveled up, quote unquote, she's no longer like the dominant one. When they get there, they get there, they're like already a little overdressed, and you see her in like a little bit of a weaker state than normal. Yeah, because yeah. the guy that she's sort of kind of seeing is de- like definitely has power over her. Yeah. Like, they show up because Veronica's there basically to be like the the double date for Heather's guy and it's it's such an it's a brilliant moment because yeah. they show up I forgot about Yeah, they show up and they're like you girls bring your party hats on and she's like let's party and the boys then start like whispering to each other yeah, they're and like laughing. pray. Yeah. And you can see how Heather and Veronica like Veronica knows that that's what they are but she's and she's already kind of like over it. Heather's pretending it's not with the case but she knows it's the case mm-hmm. and you see how the actress is like trying to keep her head up mm-hmm. high but she knows that she's now vulnerable yeah she feels the threat and then the next time we see her she's he has taken her away into his room and she's like can we go back to the party he goes eventually statutory yeah he's like but you're just so hot and he makes her perform oral sex on on him and the next time we see heather after that is she's in the bathroom gargling water yes. looks at herself and spits at her reflection Oh my god, it's so good. Why do we like this? Why do we like it? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, 
it's because it's so dark, but it's so real. And yeah. I, it just, I, I find that it, I don't know, it, it really fulfills me to watch something like that. I, well, I think what it does is it talks about the things that people don't want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned it for a hot second earlier, and I need you to watch it eventually. I watched it last night, so it's just immediately on my brain. The new movie made December on Netflix right. with Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, and Charles Melton. And Julianne Moore's character, who is, um, you know, Mary Kay Latorno, is that her name? That's basically who she's playing, the older woman who had the affair with the seventh grader, and now they're married, and it's 24 Ooh. years later. Yeah, it's, it's the whole thing. And talk about, like, melodramatic camp. But her, her, like her character's trait is like she doesn't like to dwell on the past and she doesn't like to talk about sad things, and the response, the uh, the result of that is like she has bouts of crying fits in the middle of the night for no reason because she's just constantly repressing. Yeah, unprocessed trauma or yeah. That, like yeah, it's like when if you're sad, be sad and talk about it. Like yeah. get through it. And if the things are bothering you, you no. Know, open up about them. And if something's not working, like you have to either fix it or you have to walk away. And Heather's is a movie that just boldly is like, hey, it's all kind of terrible. Even like the good stuff can be terrible. And people, Life is pain. And, and, the peop- <laughs> and the people of the power in one space, they go to the next space and they become the prey and you know, they do yes. things they don't want to do. No, no one is exempt from suffering. Well, obviously that deserves a little bit more nuance, but like... Sure. Suffering is a part of life. And I think when when a picture is painted of someone who is who is perfect and and privileged to, to the point that it seems like they don't experience any suffering, when you get those flashes of self-loathing or pain, anything like that, it's like, ah, it feels like it feels like you you caught something like human. Human and 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 special. And it feels special because it happens so quickly and it's gone, which is why, you know, Ellen, you know, when people rise so high, like they will fall. And when Every we time. see it happen, we're like, wow, we are witnessing yeah. something really special right now. <laughs> and it's it's just nice to have that reminder that everyone hates themselves at some point. Yeah. Is it safe to say that? Absolutely. I think so. Oh, God. Whether you're willing to admit it or not. I think self to have self-awareness means sometimes you will have self-loathing because that's why geniuses are like, you know, often prone to bleep madness. Oh, well we can, we can say unaliving. Unaliving. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, redacted this, this, well, but this whole podcast is, has been covering a lot of topics that are very sensitive and I've been saying thusly why this falls under the problematic umbrella. Yeah. Well, because I think because once you start talking about things like suicide, murder, date rape, things mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, the question becomes, how are you approaching it? And if there's anything resembling humor, people go, no, 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 you cannot do that. And first of all, humor does not necessarily mean you are lessening the impact of something, that you are making fun of something, are making fun of victims. To, if you can find humor out of the darkest things in the world, I think that's a specific kind of genius. Yes. I mean, the Pillow Man, I think, is one of the most brilliant plays of the last 30 years mm. and it finds humor out of one of the most twisted stories I've mm-hmm. ever seen. Mm-hmm. But, and we just we did a... We love you, John Patrick Shanley. Mm. Uh, Mark McDonough. We love you, Martin McDonough. Yeah. John Redacted. Patrick, redacted. Well, John Patrick Shanley... Dreamer examines his pillow. That's what I... I was getting yeah. the two pillows you, mixed up. My theater school. Sorry, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. But also John Patrick Shanley with uh, Doubt. 
he I mean, doubt ha- yes there is humor in doubt that mm. people don't realize because it's so dramatic get ready time daily <clears throat> oh my fucking god I? I cannot Can't wait we- it's so <clears throat> fascinating to me that for me like the two events of the spring season of Broadway mm. are Uncle Vanya and doubt yeah everyone's like what about Safsa Lampika I'm like they exist they're there I'm ex- I, I hope they're good yeah. but like doubt and Uncle Vanya Especially with that fucking cast of Vanya. Be there with bells on. Oh, yeah. I'm just, who needs poppers when you've got that cast? Anika Nani Rose yeah. doing yeah. check-off with Steve Carell. You're going to walk out of Vanya just wide open, ready to go. That is So when Veronica and JD are do, like planting the evidence that Kurt and Ram were gay with like a signed Joan Crawford postcard, I'm like, if they had tickets for the Lincoln Center Theater Uncle Vanya, everyone would be like, they were gay! <laughs> <laughs> with, with Signed by Anika Nani Rose. They're like, they were homosexuals! Mm. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know any straight men who are obs- as obsessed with Anika as I am, but again, that's where I was a special child. I was I was a thirteen year old, fourteen year old who saw Carolina change. Okay, I was like, when were you first? I feel like I first. I'm I'm not as cultured as you. Growing up in New York City, I feel like I first knew her from Princess and, Princess and the Frog, probably, yeah. or, or the Dreamgirls movie. But she wasn't her part wasn't really big in the Dreamgirls movie. They cut right. a lot of her a lot of her stuff. Yeah, no, I I am very cultured as we all know. I saw. Angels in America, the prime age of 19. Wow. And, like, what else is there to know about theater, really? You might as well get an honorary doctorate. Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've gone to Charlotte St. Martin of the Broadway League, and I said, I'm taking your wig, and I'm taking your shoes, and I am now the president, <laughs> or whatever you are, mm-hmm. of this league. <laughs> yes. Yep. Um, yeah, I think, despite its problems... Mm-hmm. Heathers. We're, yeah. we're back to Heathers now. I'm back to Heathers now, uh, which is in, you know, like the writing and the direction and the conception and the choreography. I love it ultimately because of its willingness to deal with some of these really dark themes Absolutely. with humor. Yeah. And I really reject the idea that we should stay away from topics like. Like every unaliving time. and you know date rape things that are you know they exist they exist they have to be they have to be dealt with because they exist yes and it's not about you know trying to make excuses it's just it's just simply dealing with it making it part of the conversation because yeah. otherwise how are you gonna you know take it on in the real world mm-hmm. it has to be addressed I, I think my issue with the musical and why some people have found it problematic is the fact that it doesn't go as hard as I want it to because mm. the movie does go incredibly hard. Yeah. And the what's interesting is they both I mean the the ending is similar obviously they have to go towards this conclusion where JD plans to blow up the school then ends up blowing himself up. And the musical aims for a kind of big Broadway hopefulness. Yeah. To get the audience going out on a high. And the movie ends on a very quiet note. Yeah, it's the it's the first brick to building like a, a uh, hopeful and even playing field for Westerberg with Veronica grabbing the scrunchie and going to Martha Dunstock and saying, "Let's go have a movie night." And she that's also how... lights a cigarette off of the fire. I know of the blown up football field, which yeah, iconic. Well, it's also weirdly kind of like. Um, it calls back to that lunchtime poll because that's how Veronica and JD first meet in the movie is they're doing the lunchtime poll. Mm. And she just, she keeps seeing Seth, uh, Christian Slater in the corner in his like black jacket and looking <laughs> smoldering and 
she finally just walks over to him and does the lunchtime poll, and he says, yeah, I guess if it were the last day on Earth, I would go out into the lake with some tequila, my sack, some bock, and just, you know, light up and, and wait for it to end. And, which, like, she loves, she's like, oh my god, you're so bad. But, like, we look at that and we go, like, oh my god, this fucking poser. And He's like... Oh, sorry, sorry. <coughs> no, 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 you're saying. What is he? My lunchtime poll is, do you think if JD uh, existed now as a Gen Z kid, he would be um, into anime? Probably. Like, he's so close to having incel vibes, but still manages to be, like, s- sexy and alluring. Yeah. It's, that's a tough... Well, I think if... J- that's the thing. It's the trench coat, well, really. Okay, well, so this is, this is another thing that kind of you can ask with something like Heather's, both the movie and the musical. If JD didn't look like JD, would he be sexy? Right. Would his actions be sexy? Like, a black trench coat is... Yeah. If Heather... It hits the middle of a Venn diagram of... Two very different types of people. If Heather Chandler didn't look like Heather Chandler, would she have any kind of power? She's got money, but like that, what does that mean? You know? It's a big part of it. Yeah. And it's, again, it's not something people like to talk about, but it is something that's very real. And it came actually under scrutiny when the West End production happened. Because Carrie St. Louis, no, Carrie St. Louis, she's here. Carrie Hope Fletcher. Yes who is extraordinarily talented and mm-hmm. has just been working nonstop in the West End for years. When she got cast as Veronica, there were a lot of Americans who loved the show who had backlash against her casting. Oh, I didn't know that. It, it's stupid because the their belief was... It was the same belief that, of Dan Waters and the director saying, like, Winona Ryder's not pretty enough to be Veronica. They're like, she's not pretty enough to be Veronica. Yeah, but in the musical, she goes through that whole Cinderella transformation. Yeah. I'm also of the mind frame of, you know, with the musical... Which doesn't mean I agree that Carrie's not. I mean, she's beautiful. She's she's a beautiful woman. She's got a head of hair that I would murder a mailbox for. Not a person. I'm not there yet. But Uh I would destroy some uh, federal property for her. Nice. For for her hair. Yeah. Um, But... It's a crime. It it is. Listen, it is a crime. I'm a bad boy. You're a bad boy. (laughs) You don't have a black trench coat, but... No, I don't look like JD, and I never will, and that's okay. That's, <laughs> I I'm also, would love to see you as JD with a black trench coat no. trailing on the ground. <laughs> I would just be like flipping it out. <laughs> hey, everybody, freeze your brain. Uh, it's a hard. That's a hard thing, but it is. Uh, with Carrie, you know, she's not. She doesn't look like Winona Ryder. She and she doesn't look like a Heather. And I think what some people. St- Stupidly, were trying to not stupid. They were trying to make this case and doing it stupidly. Mm. Was the point of Veronica is that even though she starts an outsider, the whole reason she's able to become a Heather is because she looks like a Heather, oh, like when she does when she's all glammed up. And I'm like, first of all, theater is suspensive disbelief. Yeah. And ultimately, with a show like Heather's, I'm like, just talent wins at the end of the day. I don't care if you're two pounds, if you're hundred pounds. I don't fucking care. Uh, it's but it's it's. A mentality that is important for the movie because of the time frame the movie came out. We are now in a place, in my opinion, with theater where it should be about the talent. Yeah. Um, And I think that you can also make a case for uh, Veronica becoming part of the Heathers, not just because she looks like a Heather. She's the brain. Yeah. She's She's the intellect. And they make it very clear in the musical that the reason she ends up joining is because she can forge things for the Heathers. She offers them something that they can't do for themselves. Yes. She, She... Asks for a coup, which I'm not sure if that's the right. I I was like I request a coup. What? No. Uh, what coup? No. What'd you say? Uh, oh, speaking of the B. No. Teenage, big, big bitch. Should, um, 
I crave a boon. Boon. There we go. <laughs> I crave a boon. Um, but it's not the name. That's like the name that she. A boon. I think she means like I. I want a deal. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, if you let me sit with you at lunch once, like, or a couple times, I, I you know people will leave me alone, and in exchange, I can forge doctor's notes. I can, I can forge. Boon is a word. I think so. I thought she was pointing to the forgery that she made and the 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 name that she wrote down, which was a pun. Maybe I made all this up. I you thought might, that, you might have boon. I crave a I crave a boon. What's a boon? What boon? A thing that is helpful or beneficial. Mm. A favor or request. Mm-hmm. You're right. I'm wrong. Uh, well, first of all, I just, that was context clues. I didn't actually know that for sure. <laughs> I just, I heard the sentence. I was like, I'm guessing that's what that means. Yeah. No. Smart. It's, we, we learn words every day. Smart. Sometimes I say a smart thing. But with with that forgery, how do we even get here? We're talking about... Uh, I don't know. Oh, oh how why, why Veronica would be part of the Heathers. There's a difference between why Veronica's part of the Heathers in the musical as opposed to why she's part of the Heathers in the movie, mm-hmm. which is why when it comes to casting, I don't care who was who in the movie. The musical is its own beast. And all my issues with the musical are musical-related, not casting, not Carrie, not Barrett, not nothing. Uh, let's take one more break. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. So for so when you think about the movie, we talked about this sort of already. Then it, it it's it's discussing things that at that time no high school movie ever did, and even now only like the random indie movie covers it. Mean Girls does something similar, but in a much more mainstream way. They never get to that dark element that Heather's gets to. But I also think part of that is the passage of time because with Heather's, the idea of a school bombing or school shooting was so ridiculous. It didn't, none of that ever happened. Damn. I know. And then Columbine happened and everything changed. Right. And continues to change. I mean, now it's just very normal. Well, and actually, so you asked like if JD were, a creation today you know that there was a heather's remake tv show i do vaguely recall i did not watch it i watched the pilot and i don't know if they ever released the rest of it uh they might i think they like dumped it all one of the things was they kept on pushing back its premiere because they're they're there's always a there's always a school shooting exactly and rather than kind of put it back in the can like that should have been the moment that everyone involved went oh i don't think you can make heathers today because of the world now yes i agree i was going to say this earlier it's i think it's important that heathers is like a period piece yeah and that it is set in the 80s and another another facet of that is um how they deal with eating disorders mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm like if gen z's if the heathers existed in gen z culture nowadays any of the heathers would probably say like Stop puking, girl. Like, we can get help. Here's a hotline you can call. Yeah. Whereas in the 80s, it was, like, good for you. If you can, like, keep up with an eating disorder, like, yeah, game on, girl. Yeah. Well, the, also, first of all, there's 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 internet culture now that uh, exists that is, doesn't exist with Heathers in 89. <clears throat> YouTube tutorials, Instagram all, Twitter, all the things. Or X. No, I'm going to I'm gonna dead name Twitter. It's the one thing I'm willing to dead name. Yeah, samesies. Yeah. But also because the, because there's the internet, 
you're the world is so much larger yeah. than it feels when you're in high school. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so like even though Heather Chandler talks about like I'm going to basically cancel you Veronica at school. Oh, sorry, that's the other thing I wanted to say. Mm. In the musical, it makes no sense to me that Heather Chandler's like, on Monday, your history, because, you know, transfer anywhere. I'm like, everyone at school is at this party. Yeah. They all they all saw it happen. She's, she's, she's canceled, right? Whereas in the movie, because it's at the college party, nobody knows about it yet. And so she's going to tell everyone. And, like, you could say, oh, what's the big deal? She threw up at a party. It's like, yeah, it's high school. Any small thing you do, especially, as you said, if you're a woman and you get to a high place, any little bump is enough to tear yeah. you down. Highest form of entertainment. Absolutely. But in the remake, they include the internet. So there's that kind of bullying. But also, in a weird way, it feels like if you watch the remake, it's like, I don't don't know how to describe it. It's almost like a little MAGA-y in the sense Mm. that the Heathers, Heather Duke is a girl of color. Heather McNamara is a sort of non-binary queer boy individual. Oh, yes. I don't think they're non-binary. I think they are a gay boy that they just sort of give non-binary traits to. Like a feminine... Yeah, like very Chris Colfer in Glee, where it's like, you identify as male, but like you're going to do a lot of feminine traits for the sake of the camp. And then Heather Chandler is a body-positive, like, uh, internet troll diva. So like the opening sequence, and, and Veronica is a skinny, white, beautiful girl who's part of the group and in the opening sequence heather chandler makes one of the school jocks take off his jersey because it has a native american symbol on it because of like that's their school emblem and she put and because she's an quote-unquote influencer videotapes him and is like if you don't do this i'm gonna put it on my instagram and cancel you and what the writers of the remake were trying to do was show how like how school bullying has evolved and like except now you've made it like the quote-unquote, like, progressive left with this very diverse group of Heathers and then, like, the heteronormative white people taking them down. Like, so that's very MAGA-y. Yeah. Um, which is... Like, the- why does it have to have any association with the Heather- <coughs> with Heathers at all? Like, it can it, be its own new thing. It should, but I think it's the brand recognition. They want the IP to get people yeah. to sign off on it. And the thing about... Heather's the original is that it is a rejection of the norm of the status quo of like we've been told that the structure we're in is for our own good it gives us uh, balance it gives us purpose it gives us routine but so many people are hurt by it and you know it's not a fair system and people have are abusing their power why can't we burn it down to the ground and start anew and it doesn't give you any answers in that regard other than just like you can't overhaul a whole system. You can only start piecemeal. Mm. But that instead, I think people then like try to make – when they try to like repurpose Heather's, they go into like the catchy dialogue and the, and the very odd uh, imagery and the sort of elevatedness of it yeah. all without going to the – root of it which is that it the movie originally was written from a place of pain and anger mm-hmm. from the writer seeing these you know american dream teen movies and being like that's not my reality yeah so i don't know that's i feel like the legacy of heathers keeps getting tarnished because then people talk about like oh it's about acceptance i'm like it's not about acceptance. you're trying to make it too good yeah 
honestly. I thought, so one of my favorite songs from the show, Meant to Be Yours, uh-huh. um, which I thought Ryan McCartan absolutely crushed, um, to me is such, is, it does such a good job because musically, I think it manages to capture this very John Hughesian sound. Like it just, it sort of brings me to the same place as a John's, John Hughes movie where, or like the era mm-hmm. where it's like, I don't know, there's this pulse to it that feels very like, ah, oh, we're taking off. Like we're teenagers. We have all this like wild energy and it's about something extremely morbid. He's mm-hmm. like talking about his obsession with Veronica how he's literally about to blow up the school and kill everyone inside. And I don't think every song in the score manages to do that, but that song, it does. I don't know. It, it's, it's like stylistically so perfect to me. Yeah. Well, it's it's very dramatically compelling. Yeah. Because it's like JD is a character and they do f- adhere to his origins in the musical from the movie, which is, you know, it's just him and his dad. His mother... Uh, is is no longer with us. She in in, in a very odd way, a very mm-hmm. like a very specific way, which is that JD's father owns a construction company, a very successful construction company. But what he what his father mostly does is he you know tears stuff down. Mm-hmm. So he has a, a, he has access to a lot of explosives. And one of the towns that they lived in, his mother chose to go into one of the buildings that his father was blowing up and stay there when it happened. And like he talks about it in the movie is like the last time I saw my mom she was waving from a third story window. It's crazy. Yeah, her his mom was had issues that needed to be addressed and weren't addressed and rather than talk about it the father's like it do, we don't talk about that yeah. ever. Um and they play a game where it's they call each other father and son to each other like mm-hmm. JD calls the roles are reversed. Exactly. Um I also love <laughs> The second time that he, the dad shows up in the movie and Winona Ryder says, great, the beaver's home. I just, I, 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 what does that even mean? <clears throat> I mean, just like, I think it's, in my, my interpretation was always that it was um, either her way of calling him a pussy or, <laughs> yeah. or like leave it to beaver because when he, when they call him son, like, oh, yeah, great, yeah, yeah, beaver's yeah. home. Um, there, I mean, there are, there are a lot of lines in the movie that are iconic that I still don't totally know what they mean. Yeah. I don't know why Heather Chandler says corn nuts when she's about to croak other than like... I think it's just an exclamation. It's like nuts. Cor- yeah. Nuts. Rats. Nuts. Yeah, but this corn time nuts. it's corn nuts because... They, they sort of created their own brand with all this. They, like, fuck me gently with a chainsaw. They, oh, yeah. they were making their own lingo that was specific to the time and to Heather's... What's your damage is... Yes. Is, is now a line because of that movie. Yes. <clears throat> What's your damage? Brett says you're being a real coos. Yeah, I like also... they they were influencers before there were influencers. Absolutely, swatch dogs and diet cokeheads. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? Ah, the best. So good. Yeah. Um. Oh, and also That's in the musical. Yes, and also why are you pulling on my dick? Yeah. Which, but but also, I mean, so something you were saying as well, and we'll, I I want to tie this back to JD. Uh, how like we're all monsters. We're all selfish. We're all whatever. And I talked about this. I think with the prom as well and maybe even downstate but yeah we're all ultimately selfish people and we're just constantly trying to go against those impulses to show some kind of kindness and the people who tend to like be the most content are the people who are pretty awful because they're just like i don't desire that struggle with myself yeah they're not fighting it yeah and you know who's to say how happy they actually are but they 
the lines on their face are not as deep as the lines of others. I will, mm-hmm. I will say that. But, and they choose to make their conscious less clear about that. But, you know, when Heather Duke, who is the one who has the eating disorder at the beginning of the movie, and then rises through the ranks once Heather Chandler passes, you know, in another kind of movie, Heather Duke's arc would be a lot more victorious. You know, she was suffering through this toxic friendship she had with Heather Chandler. And when that was gone, you see for the first half of of the movie anyway, she blossoms. She She's able to eat again. And Shannon Doherty, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love the line. Like, what? Such good casting. Wow, watch it, Heather. You might have actually be digesting food there. Yeah, <laughs> where's your urge to purge? Fuck it. It's so good. Um, and like, she's happier. She's she's conversing. She's no longer afraid to speak out anymore. And ultimately, she takes that confidence and it become and it gets uh, corrupted. The musical starts that a lot sooner and makes it a whole makes like proves that actually she's as manipulative as Heather Chandler. She just was waiting in wait, mm-hmm. waiting in wait. That's not a thing. <laughs> Lying in wait, but. Um, in the wings. In the wings, yes. She says to Veronica in the movie, why are you pulling on my dick? Do you think that if Betty Finn's fairy godmother made her cool, she would be Betty Finn? Like, it'd be nice and kind. She wouldn't. And I think that mentality is something that J.D. has always felt. It, like, Veronica is trying to believe that people can be good, whereas J.D.'s like, no. It, anyone given an opportunity to have power, it's going to corrupt them yeah. no matter who. We'll take advantage of other people. We'll, yeah. Yeah, and he says the only place that Ver- that Heather's and Martha Dunstocks can get along is, is in, in heaven. heaven. And he's like, so, and also saying, you know, by killing everyone in the school, we are sending a message to society. Mm-hmm. This is what you are turning us into. We're, like we're putting ourselves out of the our misery. School is society. The school was society. Kind of poetic, right? Um, and Veronica chooses to fight that, which I think. You can decide for yourself if that's naive, if that's a losing battle, or if that's hopeful. The musical aims for hopeful, yeah, which I think is fair. Again, it's and it's theater is a commercial art form, so you want people to come back and mm-hmm. and see it. You don't want people, audiences going out going, "God damn it, we're all just awful." I'm, I'm going to go home and eat some chocolate and never see a show again. Right. I think what I dislike in the ending of the show. I do like the reprise of Seventeen, which also I think is a good song. I do too. It's a, it's a very nice number. And I think it's uh, done very well in the reprise. What I don't like is when the ghosts of Heather Chandler and Curtin Ram show up to like oversee it all. <laughs> to like, look at our friends, our, our schoolmates all getting along. I'm like, the real trio didn't want that. No. And they're not in heaven like looking down. This is like Veronica's imagination of them talking to them right. from beyond. So I, I I always thought that was a little pat. The only thing that would make it worse, I don't know if they do this in other productions, like is if JD showed up in the finale in heaven with them. As an angel. He's like, we did it, guys. I'm like, no, you all were actively destroying this ecosystem. Yeah. Uh-huh. Veronica's doing it. She's the hero's journey. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about the Veronica of the musical? I think that she has a, you know, it's, hmm, I really respect the Veronica of the film because I love I love a, a sort of a twisted dark character but I do think she has she goes through so much in the musical that is is compelling to a musical audience mm-hmm. where she has to locate her moral compass and overcome 
all of the nasty influences and decide to be a bigger person. And, you know, she goes through, I'm so over the Cinderella transformations, but like, you know, she goes through that and decides it's not worth it. And she tells the truth to Martha Dunstock. She humbles herself and saves everyone in the school effectively. So I, I feel like it's, it makes sense because it's, um, we really do see her go on a wild journey and come out the other side. Um, how do I feel? I don't know. How do you? I what do you? Mm. Well, I was asking you because as woman, as I wanted. Woman? No, not as a woman. As woman, mm. you are woman. Mm-hmm. And Hear I, me roar. Yes, and I, I like hearing woman speak of woman mm-hmm. uh, because I love woman, mm-hmm. but you know I only can go through how I. You are not woman. I am not. I can only go through how I experience them. Sure, but. I mean, I think Veronica, because the movie character is so rich and meaty, not necessarily like exciting. I would say her arc is not as tortured as the Veronica of the musical. Right. She has a conscience in the movie, and she's like the first half of the movie is Veronica definitely like grappling with like where is my where where are my morals actually going to stand? Where where do I draw the line? I'm not sure yet. And the musical, she's a lot kinder. So yeah. you see her get traumatized easier. You see you see it affecting her a little deeper than it happens. From the get go. Like in Beautiful, she's like defending Martha to yeah. the jocks. She's standing up to them. Yeah, and, and she has more agency, I would argue. And I, I think that is an interesting change. I think I would like it more again if I thought that the musical went harder with mm-hmm. its edges. I remember writing in my review for the cast album, because sometimes I'm asked to write reviews for cast albums. But I said, uh, for hardcore Heathers fans, they're going to be disappointed that the chewing tobacco has been replaced by bubblegum, which is how I kind of describe that score. Uh, There are times when it does synchronize really well and other times where I'm like, eh. And on paper, I can't deny where songs happen for the most part, except for Blue Slash You're Welcome, Mm -hmm. which we've already discussed. They also added that song that we were listening to before we recorded, the I Say No. Yeah. In Act 2. Eh. Yeah. Don't need it. Don't need it. And it's so long. Yeah. So, Chelsea, for my, for my uncultured folks who don't know your work, let me set the scene for them for you. As I've said, Chelsea Williams has a very beautiful, very high voice. Or rather say, your voice can go high. There were... I, I will it's never, gone high in the past. I will never forget playing you Rainbow High for the first time in college. Uh-huh. You famously had never heard of Vita before. And, yeah. I'm, and I'm like, oh, girl. I was a late bloomer. You were. But I, I reveled in that. I was. I, I like to think I was never the, the person, if you said, like, oh, I don't know that. I was like, you've never heard of it? More as I was, like, excited. Like You just press play. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, ooh, yay. I get to show you. Um, it was always that. It was, it was very Abby on Broad City of, oh, you're so lucky. Like, you get to experience it for the first time. Yeah. And I remember playing you Rainbow High. And we get to the modulation and, and Patty hits the big note and you go, what note is that? I go, that's an E. And you go, oh, okay. And I was like, I was like, it was a different time. It was a different time. But like, you know, you less trauma to the chords. Yes. I don't know. You've sang freedom like a boss, but <laughs> this is to say, as Chelsea's going to discuss the plights of the woman mm. of modern day musical theater, just know like, this is a girl like Veronica Sawyer herself who absolutely can fit into this hierarchy, but she's also calling out the hierarchy itself, which is real bravery and great. You are basically a man (laughs) who says that he loves women. Which is all I can really hope to be. The most powerful position, a man. Um, I mean, of the two people in this room, (laughs) you definitely have the most power. (laughs) 
why are you pulling on my dick? Because um, it's so good. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think that Wicked is ultimate is the started the wave of this like vocal athleticism on Broadway that is, um, dare I say, has ruined musical theater or has at least turned it into, has turned it away from storytelling and more into like a concert style of Mm -hmm. we're singing as loud and as high as we possibly can in a way that it's becoming more and more normal to have a standby go on once or twice a week because dear God, who can actually sustain eight shows of singing? I mean, actually that doesn't even happen in wicked, right? Standbys go on, but it's not, um, a scheduled performance. No, it's never scheduled, but they, they go on a lot. It's crazy to me. Um, yeah. Going on mid show is like very normal going on after the wizard and I, it's like very normal for Mm -hmm. alphabets and wicked. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember seeing Heather's for the first time and like it was so exciting to me to hear someone sing like that. But it was so exciting because I was like, this is so challenging. It's so loud. It's so high. And it's it's making me almost like cringe in my seat where I'm worried for this person throughout the show. I was worried for Barrett, um, who I had a lot of admiration for at the time and um i but yeah it was it felt thrilling to me then to hear someone sing so much so high where i was like is she gonna be able to do it but now as an older wiser more experienced performer when i see shows like that and i'm worried about them hitting the notes it's like not a comfortable experience i'm totally taken out of the story i can't actually enjoy the plot i can't i can't transcend the world that i'm living in i'm just like oh my god are you going to be able to work after this? And that, and, and I'm like, I don't want to go in for shows like that. Like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put myself through that. It's not worth it. It's not. I, I, I have conflict with myself with this regard because I agree. I don't, I, I, I get very angry now when I watch shows and I think you have written this so terribly for your leading person, man Mm -hmm. or woman. And I actually think, uh, both Heather's and Legally Blonde are the same. Where like Elle Woods is just as monstrous of a role yeah. as Veronica, just in terms of like how it's paced. Even yeah. if like she's not belting all the time, like she's on, she never leaves the stage. Yeah, uh, it, which shows you how much worse it's gotten since Wicked, because Wicked was very much a turning point. And I remember at the time Wicked came out, a lot of critics were like Jesus Christ, this is where we're heading. American Idol style, style singing. Yeah, and I look at Wicked now compared to Heather's or, or Mean, uh, mean Girls or. Legally Blonde, I'm like, oh, the alphabet is actually paced better than those roles. It's still not, it's still a beast and people go. It's paced well. But like, it's still, it's still very difficult. And the proof is, you know, a lot of alphabets have had to have vocal therapy afterwards or have called out. But like, you know, yeah, alphabet doesn't open the show immediately. She's not on stage all the time. She has Wizard and I, and then she doesn't have like a big, big sing again until Define Gravity. But she does have, you know. good deed. Like there's a lot of that too. Yeah, three really big tent poles yeah but it's like it's still a lot and it's not again it's not that it is well structured so much as we have made it even harder now that we look on wicked compared to those shows and we go well that's better but like if if we didn't have heathers or legally blonde or any of those shows we would rightfully look at wicked and go that's insane that we're asking someone to do that eight times a week heathers 
is not paced well. It's not sustainable. I mean, that opening number is, first of all, like seven minutes long. Yep. And it ends in Veronica belting and riffing up a storm, which probably was Barrett's like improvisational choices that just kind of stuck with the show. And it is impressive, but it's like you have to maintain that bar throughout the rest of the show. Yeah. You know, you've already gone there. Yeah. I wish that I wish that there were other major productions of that show uh, recorded for posterity that Mm -hmm. could give alternate vocals on that kind of stuff. Because the same thing is true with Book of Mormon. Andrew Reynolds has talked about this a lot when he played Elder Price in the workshops and then brought it to Broadway. He made them raise all the keys for him, not just because he could do it, but he was so nervous that he would get replaced at one point that he was like, I want to put these in keys that are so high that they can't replace me. Wow. Which is, I mean, that was him being a shark, being like, I'm going to hold on to this role for as long as it takes. That's a reflection of the industry, ultimately. Yeah. yeah but the, And they kept it. And then it wasn't until Gavin Creel, I think, did the tour mm. and they lowered a couple of keys. And I mean, Gavin's voice also goes insanely high, but yeah. like it wasn't fitting it's as well. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. And like, I believe it's just as powerful a step down as it is in the original right. key. Like it doesn't need to be that high. And it shouldn't be about us applauding the agility of the singer. It should be us applauding the craft of the artist. I agree. I mean, th- you think about, you can speak to this more than I can, but like performers like Ethel Merman, who mm-hmm. are having songs written for them and are... When I think of her, I think of an extremely powerful storyteller, like gusto, volume, like she's got it all. Was she a soprano? No. Was she belting really high? Mm, No. But like it was all – you were struck by her velocity. I mean it's just incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean and even some major power songs from the 60s, 70s, and 80s that we think of as like these big high flute numbers. Like, okay, I'll put it this way. Don't Rain on My Parade from Funny Girl. <clears throat> when you take away the flourishes that Barbara yes. added, as written, it is a big number. It doesn't go beyond a C. Mm-hmm. Like, the C is the money note. Mm-hmm. Julie Simon was like, we're not writing past that. We don't need to. And then, but then, of course, Barbara's a freak of nature, and she was like, I'll do an E. Why not? Who cares? So what? And then everybody else is like, well, now i got to destroy myself. But, like, where you find where the voice has the most power, that's where you cater to. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as you get more comfortable and you start having more fun with it, whatever. But, like, that danger of Barrett's voice is partly what made the score so thrilling to me mm-hmm. the first time I mm-hmm. heard it. Which is why I sometimes question how much do I actually like the score and how much it, of it was that thrill, right, of is she going to make it? Yeah. And, like, th- that's not a discredit to Barrett, the artist. She's in control of her instrument. But that score destroys voices it destroyed hers for a little bit and she's she's been open about it as far as contemporary musical theater goes it's um it's a real travesty to me that it seems like a lot of writers nowadays don't have uh the keen sense that writers of like golden age or like sondheim for example had of uh what it means to be a vocalist and how to write for singers and heathers definitely fell into this trap a little bit where some of the songs are super catchy. They are bops. Like, we love it. But they are not all written with a singer's success in mind in a way that if you listen to any Sondheim show, he's very much thinking about the vowels, the placement. And I think a lot of, like, jukebox musicals, you know, of course fall into this trap because they were written as pop songs and it's not – we're not considering singing these songs eight times a week mm-hmm. and – how you can actually carry that out. And I I just hope that for the future of musical theater, more writers will think about 
the realities of singing these songs eight times a week. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I just, we're not writing songs that are actable. We're writing songs that are meant to show ourselves off. And that's fine for, it's again, it's the Lippa Wild Party in a cabaret setting on a cast album. I'm here for it. Yeah. But like, I've said this about Burrs in Wild Party. Let Me Drown is a bop. A bop. And that number is his mental breakdown before he decides he's going to try and kill Queenie and Black. Mm-hmm. That's Compare that actually to Meant to Be Yours, which is also in its weird way a bop, but it's a disorienting bop. It changes uh, meter, it changes tempo, mm-hmm. it changes melody lines all the time to show off his sort of erratic yes. <clears throat> mental state. And it, it has a bit of danger to it. I love you, I hate you, I love you. Yeah, so good. I was meant to be yours. Like I love it. Yeah, it's 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 actually very smart, and it does build to that height vocally. So I think that's actually that is a case of Heather's, and of course it's for the man. That's a case of Heather's where I do think they think of the actor. Open the open the door, please, Please, Veronica. Open open the the door. door. Um, but so with something like Let Me Drown, where it is just about the actor showing off vocally and getting tapping into something rageful, but as an audience, you're not getting uncomfortable from the story. You're just like, fuck, yeah, mm-hmm, work. Mm-hmm. And I think too many writers, creative teams in general, and producers even, are so thrilled with the immediate cheers of an audience for that bop, for that showstopper. They don't it's think... It's a little of, cheap. Yeah, it's very immediate and cheap. Yeah. And... To, make, to prove my point even further, for every show in the last three years that has gotten a huge ovation or standing ovation that then closed, are we talking about them today? I can't say that I talk about Paradise Square very often. I talk about it too much for a show I absolutely hate. It, but, yeah, you do. But it's because it's it's my go-to. It's my go-to. It's it's like a, yeah, it, it anchors your spectrum of like yeah. what it, you it like. Has, it has started to replace Finding Neverland as my go-to punching bag. And to be fair to Paradise Square, I do think the writers had good intentions, whereas Finding Neverland was just a paycheck for everybody. Mm, I uh, do like that one song. And Finding Neverland? Or Paradise? All that matters now. Oh, is that the song she sings before she dies of cancer? I don't know. I didn't like the show. I, no. I saw the show, but I... The, the Glitter Tornado was nice, but also... It's an indulgent yeah. Also, I also give Paradise Square the credit of there are no children in that show. And I don't like children. Especially on stage. I just don't like them. Uh, which I is, just don't like them. Which is so weird because I love Matilda. Okay. And, and I love the TV movie of Annie. But, but Matilda's dark. She is dark. And she's smart. And she's fun. And she's cool. But, she's cool. Yeah. She's not like, I'm adorable. She's like, I read. You're like, I like the kids who are magical geniuses. Yeah. not the regular ones. Matilda <laughs> saw passion. She saw Fosca and passion. And she saw that song, I read. And she's like, yeah. I do read. Mm. Um, I read and I move shit with my <clears throat> mind. Yeah, because that is feminism. <laughs> Wait, is that not feminism? Um, I must not be a real feminist because I'm trying to move your Paddington the bear right now. You heard it here, guys. Chelsea Williams hates women. I hate women. All, it's because I hate myself. That movie, Women Talking, Chelsea saw that. She went, why? Why are they talking? They shouldn't be talking. <laughs> Somebody shut them up. Yeah. I love that movie, The Artist, because nobody talks, especially the women. Because um, it's a silent movie. Get it? No. Uh, no, but with Heathers, because we, we were talking about... I know. I'm, guys, I have a cold, so I've been just like blowing my nose constantly, and I have a wad of toilet paper Aww. on the table. No apologies. Pray Never for apologize. Pray for Matt. 
everyone please pray for me. My brain is dying. Um, with Heather's, with Meant to Be Yours and all that. I'm glad we got back to that because you had talked about your love for it and we didn't really dissect I'm going to listen it. to it as soon as I leave this place. It's a good number. Yeah. Again, the th- my issue with Heather's as a musical is that they do a lot to make it work as a musical, but I don't think they go dark enough to justify the themes and the content of the plot, which mm-hmm. is why people find it problematic because when you make it lighter, it's what makes people go, or, or, or not even lighter. When you go towards empathy rather than just flat out criticism, it leaves an open discussion for audiences and there are some people who don't like that. For example, my favorite musical leads with empathy for all the characters, even when they're doing terrible things, which has led it to have this constant argument about where does the musical stand? What's your favorite musical? Finding Neverland. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. the, the, and the argument is, where do we stand on glitter? Is it beautiful or does it pollute the planet? And I'm like, it's both. It's a wonderful metaphor for dying of cancer. Yeah. Yeah. It's the one thing I didn't like about my sister's keeper. There was no glitter in it. Can't say that I saw that one. Neither now. did I. I saw the trailer. You're like, but I know it's about it's about cancer. cancer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. walk uh, to remember. I know there's cancer in that. Definitely saw that many times. Oof. Nicholas Nic- Sparks. Yeah. Sparks. <laughs> Nicholas Sharts. Uh. <laughs> Nicholas Sparks doesn't like gay people. Everybody remember that. Um, really. I, yeah. I'm, I can't say I'm surprised. No, he doesn't. Yeah. He loves a weak woman. Sure do. Yeah. <laughs> in, and in fact, Allie in the notebook is so strong so and he punishes bland. her by getting dementia. Yeah. He's like, oh, you thought that you could be an independent woman? Yeah. Surprise, bitch. You're going to get dementia. Yeah. Only for so long. Yeah. yeah. You will pay a price. Absolutely. Oh, Mandy Moore. Become the weakest of the weak. Yes. Mandy Moore. You think that uh, you can love Jesus and, and have a man? No. You're going to get leukemia. So down the weakest upper register known to man i'll say it mandy moore i wanna be with you oh wow i love it when she's singing in the princess diaries on that beach and you can barely hear you can barely hear oh my god it's um yeah wow how far we've come how far we've come uh you know what mandy moore could never be able to sing the score of heathers anything on broadway yeah and anything from heathers have you've heard her sing suddenly seymour i was there when she did it what yeah (laughs) <laughs> I'm the one who suggested in the audience. No. Oh I'm, my goodness. I'll I'm, never forget that big millennial millennial bun she yeah. had. Oh, so you know what actually we didn't really talk about much is Heather McNamara and I want to mm, I want to talk about yeah, her yeah. and Martha Dunstock as well of the musicals. Uh two characters who genuinely are suffering and do not get the empathy that they should get. That that is reserved for the people who did not actually unalive themselves but because of their social status and because of how it happened are given this kind of grace. Heather McNamara in a moment of vulnerability in act two after shine a light Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be this healing moment. And then Heather McNamara kind of breaks. Yeah. She's like, okay, I'll bite. Yeah. I want to unalive myself. Yeah. Well, she does. I don't think she starts off that way. She, what she starts off is just like, I don't like my life. I don't like, uh, everything that's happening to me. The movie makes her a little whinier. Oh, uh, I thought she revealed that she has suicidal thoughts. Maybe I'm reading into it too hard. Maybe she does. I don't know. Mm. There's For everything that I criticize about the show, there's a lot of stuff I've forgotten. Yeah. And I literally have been like yeah. putting it in my brain all mm-hmm. week. But yeah, with Lifeboat, it's a song where 
she basically says that you know life because uh, I think Murphy and O'Keefe said that they read something of how like high school is basically like surviving on the tiniest lifeboat, mm-hmm. and you know it's always just it's kill or be killed, and it that it's something that actually gets to her, whereas it doesn't get to Heather Chandler, it it ha- doesn't get to Heather Duke anymore, but it does affect Heather McNamara, and rather than everyone lending a hand of I see you, I feel you, I hear you, Joanna. They, instead, she gets ripped apart. And it's the same thing in the movie. Uh, you know, rather when hearing that their friend is suffering, Heather Duke's like, great, we're going we're gonna to crucify her for this. And Veronica does nothing. And Heather is the first one in the story to truly make the choice to unalive herself. And ultimately, Veronica steps in and, and helps her. But it shows you, like, just because Veronica... Chandler, no, sorry, Heather Chandler and Raymond Kurt didn't actually unalive themselves doesn't mean that this isn't a thought that teenagers have. Mm-hmm. That this isn't a conclusion that some people at this age go to. Because I talked about this, I think, in um, Downstate. I maybe didn't talk about it with Dear Evan Hansen. When I was writing my movie about parents dealing with the the grief and the guilt of a <laughs> child that... It was, it's a good screenplay. It's a good screenplay. Thank you, baby. Um, guys, Chelsea has been good to uh, do readings for anything I've ever written. <coughs> the screenplay, the play. Reading roles much older than I am now, but... Yeah. No, well, you read Roles for... I can't wait to grow into. It's true. You did read for Aaron at the... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was too much. That's I can't have you ever do that role again. Oh. No, it was too good. It... Talk to me when you have contracts. I know. I've, I'll say, I'm going to say this about Chelsea Williams, and then we're going to move on. The first time I we did the reading of my play in January, Chelsea read the role of Aaron in a scene that was very impactful. And Chelsea, we were like we were at break because her role doesn't show up till Act Two, and we get to the scene, and the moment Chelsea opens her mouth, she's nailing it so hard that I'm having you went under the table. I, yeah, I had PTSD. I sat under the table the you entire. You literally time. got under the table. I did. I did. It was <laughs> you were that good. I well, you also you wrote it extremely close to. Yeah, no, that 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 first time was the closest it was to. Do the they real know situation. what you're talking about? They know that something happened, yeah, yeah. and they know that I wrote a play. It's very it. personal. Yeah, yeah, that's all they know. Uh, we haven't talked about anything. Very else. brave. He's very brave. I'm a brave man. <laughs> I'm a big brave boy. But <clears throat> that the idea of when someone commits suicide, people often talk about it as like a choice that they make. And in a way it is. But when I was writing that screenplay, I was talking to someone who had dealt with uh, that before. <clears throat> and I, while I've ha- while I do suffer from uh, depression myself, I'm very fortunate that I haven't gone to that darkest mm-hmm, spot. Mm-hmm. But what they said was, you know, it's not a choice. It's a conclusion. Like it's, it's something that makes sense to them. And it's something that, isn't really discussed in Dear Evan Hansen with, you know, Connor Murphy who commits suicide and... It might not feel like a choice yeah. in the moment that something like that happens. And a lot of people, when they get to that moment, they actually, their spirits actually tend to rise because they see that the end is near and it feels like they they have a an answer now that this is where it has always been meant to lead to. Like, the pain will be over soon. Yeah. Which is why in Dear Evan Hansen, when they're like, if you read Connor's letters, which are all fake, by the way, Evan wrote all of them with Jared, like, he was getting better. Why would he, 
Why would he unalive himself? And it's like, well, actually, I would love if some, someone came in and said, like, actually, statistically speaking, many people, when they get to that point of their lives, they do have an uptick in their emotions because they feel like the pain will go away very soon. Uh, and people should probably put a trigger warning on this episode. <laughs> I've been putting a trigger warning on everything. Okay. Uh, but uh, that is sort of the thing with Heather's that it doesn't go to that spot, but it it does sort of continually talk about how despite all the conversations people are having and the empathy that they claim to lean towards, when the actual shit hits the fan and people who really are suffering are getting there to that spot of vulnerability and needing of help, no one's doing it. Yeah. Instead, it's like, oh, a, a moment of weakness. Fantastic. I can I can point and laugh. When, when Martha Dunstock does it, Heather Duke says, because first of all, Heather McNamara does not succeed. Veronica steps in. Martha Dunstock sings Kindergarten Boyfriend, which I think has no rhymes in it. That is what they said. It was like, she got to, she's at a point mentally where she doesn't, she can't think in rhymes. She can only think in free-flowing thoughts, mm-hmm. which I'm not mad about. <clears throat> but she makes the choice to, to go in front of traffic and... Oh, I thought she jumped off a bridge. Oh, maybe she jumped off a bridge. She goes into traffic in the movie. That much I remember. She's, yeah. She t- she. Tapes I, I think in the musical, she she jumps off a bridge and is not successful. Yes, she's not successful in either. She breaks some bones. She does. She's not successful in either medium. Mm. And Heather Duke's the one who says, you know, she did this. And and what Heather Duke says is she's just trying to follow the cool kids. And she's failing miserably because that's how it goes. And it's such a callous, evil yeah. thing to say. Yeah. And in the movie, it's not nearly as callous. It doesn't feel as callous because the movie has framed it at that point as like everyone has been viewing suicide now as a trend, as a Mm -hmm. cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so, but and they don't frame Martha's plight as something to mock at. It's it is very much the bleeding heart of the movie. But it makes sense that that's where Heather Duke's head's going at because she's in this bubble of toxicity where Mm. that's where people are thinking of the musical because we have that moment of introspection with Martha who has been nothing but kind the entire time and just keeps getting stomped on. Yeah. And then even in 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 her most vulnerable moment continues to get stomped on. It really cuts even deeper yeah. and meaner. Uh yeah. There's just no there's nowhere to turn to actually source empathy from from the characters. Like even even when you do the most bleak act of of despair. Yeah. People are still like, you're just trying to be like everybody else. Yeah. Or, you know, when you, I mean, think about like anytime somebody posts something on social media of like, I've been going through a thing, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes it's so easy to look at it one of two ways. I roll. I roll, you're looking for attention. Or it's like you are hurting and yeah. you're looking for some S- someone to recognize. A cry for help, yeah. Yeah, recognize your pain. Uh, and that's the, that's the double-edged sort of social media and also just like how we all both hate it, love it, rely on it, want to get rid of it. And ultimately the answer that Heather's the musical in the movie has is just like, it just comes down to just telling one single person, I see you, yeah. I'm here for you. Let's be friends. Mm-hmm. Let's watch a movie. I want to watch a movie with you. Mm, always. <laughs> pop some popcorn, pop some Jiffy, Jiffy Pop. pop. <laughs> yeah. As Martha Dunstock says, are there any happy endings? Ooh, actually wait, one more line and then we can start wrapping things up. Let's do it. Uh, so the ending of the show actually, first of all, I, again, structurally speaking, I think the show does a really good job of making the final act feel like a runaway train. They're really good at condensing all the drama to make it pulse. Whereas in the movie, it's like a very uh, tense, long burn. Mm. Uh, 
And the musical also ends with no new songs. After Meant to Be Yours, it's just reprises. Yeah. Dead Girl Walking reprise. Um, uh, 17, Our Love is God. And when JD ultimately fails in his endeavor, luckily so, and he comes back out with the bomb attached to his chest. First of all, there's a good joke there when he says, please stand back now. And she takes a step a little further. <laughs> I, that's the kind of like dark humor that I think the musical nails very yes. well. <clears throat> For every time there's a moment where I'm like, guys, you didn't get it. There's a time where I'm like, you got it. Because we didn't mention that um, Kevin, what's his name? Kevin Murphy. He also wrote for Desperate Housewives. Oh, did he? Yes. No way! He was the writer of Desperate Housewives. Good for him. Yeah. I mean... Which had its darkness as well, like similar oh, yeah. you know, themes, except set in middle-aged women. Yeah. The first season of Desperate Housewives, I maintain, is one of the best Very seasons. good. Yeah. That pilot is incredible. Yeah. It's the, Witty banter, oh, yeah. dark themes. Very dark themes. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a soap opera yeah. on primetime. Mm-hmm. But... When uh, it goes, because it, it starts with the intro of 17, uh, the, yeah, we're damaged, and he has that bit. And then before he gets to the actual chorus of 17, he goes right into the, I worship you, and then our love is God, which is a number that ends act one with Veronica and JD based yeah. off of the line from the movie. And he, the song, Our Love is God, just ends with him and Veronica repeating the line over and over to each other. So in the reprise, as he has the, bomb straps to his chest he just sings it over and over again to veronica our love is god and then on the last line veronica says say hi to god blackout boom and i think that's such a great use of that moment i remember seeing it in the theater like and i, I had my arms kind of crossed a little bit i was like i'm not super happy with how they musicalized this and then she said that line i'm like that was good yeah i'll give you that one. yeah when when there's a moment of really good writing listen part of me Part of me knows it's good writing if I get jealous I didn't think of it. Ooh. But the best my my See, we love people admitting that they're, you know. Oh, I can talk about all of my I know, faults. I know, no, this is why I love you. And Chelsea, if I can't think of them, you're right here to tell me. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm that, just keep, keeping your feet on the ground. Absolutely. <laughs> my favorite friends are the ones who I'm like, "You know, guys, I think I'm pretty cool." And my friends going, "Oh, sweetie." No. Let's um now, let's no. unpack yeah, I'm with you because I need tallying points so I can get into heaven eventually. I'm doing a good deed by staying around you. So yeah, you know you like I, I that know. writing is good if you wish that you would come up with it. Exactly. But also there's a kind of good writing where I, where I just go, ooh, that's like where it excites me. Yeah. For every part of Heather's where I'm like, oh, God damn it. There's a moment like that, like say hi to God, stand back now a little further. I'm like, that's a good moment. Very quippy. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy to toss it off because... For a while, we only knew of Heather's sort of in theory as a musical. Like, it was doing all these readings. It was, they were doing the Joe's Pub concert. So it felt almost like, are they writing this show like like the U2 musical theater concerts that we grew right. up with? The RSO, Paskin Paul's, where it's like, we have an idea for a musical. Here's some songs we came up with as a concept. And it's like, but does this actually fit the show? Mm-hmm. Cough, when Lily came, cough, cough. And, yep. But so. Triggering triggering but so with heathers i think it it was exciting to watch it and go oh like this song does fit and then other times be like this song doesn't fit you just kept it because it did well at the concert but i do think they genuinely worked very hard to make it as good a musical as possible they're they're musical theater writers they're not like concert people uh but it does have its failings and it does have its pluses yeah yeah one more plus you have for this show i was reading when i was reading the 
the script you sent me, which like, do you have the script for everything? No, I just um, I know a lot of people, and yeah. I've I've done a lot of sexual. You know what fa- that means? I've done a lot of sexual favors yeah. for people in the past. Slut. Um, <laughs> they made a very conscious effort to keep costs down in terms of like the set and the design of the show so that they could hire so many performers and this the sound was impressive like when I went to see it I was like damn this ensemble is working over time Mm -hmm. and they had a lot of uh, musicians in the orchestra as well they did it was a big sound for sure it was a big sound yeah I I do like the hero's journey they give for Veronica in the sense of musicals exactly I don't know if I like it for that story I also wish that the musical was a little more sardonic with the adults. I don't think that they're quite sardonic enough. Mm. Like Veronica's parents. For, the thing about Heather's as a movie is <clears throat> it's so easy to forget that these are technically speaking children. Yeah. First of all, because they all look older, but also the way they carry themselves. Like high school is its own ecosystem. And what Veronica says, which is so eloquent, is <clears throat> when she says to JD, I don't really like my friends, which is much more. Actually, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, I'll say one last thing after this. Mm-hmm. I say that and then I'm going to say 10 more things. But <laughs> she's like, it's people that I work with and her job is being popular and shit. So you start to think of them as adults with jobs. And then in small moments in the movie, just like through small interactions, you're like, oh no, these are children. Like when they're playing croquet in Veronica's backyard and like Chandler's being this awful monster to Duke. And then Veronica's parents come out and they go, oh, Heather, your mom's here. And McNamara's like, okay, everyone come on for a ride. And they like say bye and thank you to Veronica's parents like, teenagers do when they're like thanks for having us over bye I'm like yeah no they're fucking 16 yeah these are children yeah um, they're getting picked up by their parents yeah and Veronica you know her parents don't know much about her life they have the same old banter pate who's the dark horse for prom things like that but they don't know actually anything about her life and the one time they ever get like real real is when Veronica says like we just want to be treated like human beings and her mom says when kids say that it's usually because they are being treated like human beings and they don't mm-hmm. like it Mm-hmm. And when Veronica says, well, I guess I picked the wrong time to be a human being, all her mom can say is, well, you'll live. Want some pate? Because <laughs> she doesn't know what to do. Yeah. It's, it's, again, it's a generation of people who became parents because that's what you're supposed to do right. without actually asking, should I be a parent? Mm-hmm. Am I capable of raising someone who can contribute to society, which is also sometimes why we have the monsters we do, like yeah. Heather Chandler? Yep. <sighs> totally. The last thing I'll say about Veronica and Heather. And this is where the nuance of the movie does still overshadow the musical. In the musical, Veronica's only with the Heathers for about three weeks. And then shit hits the fan. So even though she has the guilt of, you know, killing someone, mm-hmm. the line, I just killed my best friend and your worst enemy, same difference, makes no sense. In the movie, it's been a few years. They've been friends for yeah. years. And they have a certain kind of rapport. So it is true. There's also a moment in the movie that I love. Again, it's the nuance. It's the details. After Heather has died and her legacy is, you know, I'm Heather Chandler and my suicide note is beautiful. And Veronica's kind of looking at everyone being like, God, everyone's so stupid. There's a moment where she goes and sees Heather Chandler's locker. No one has cleared it out since she's passed. And she goes in it because she of course she does she knows, knows the code yeah. yeah and there's a strip of photos from like a photo booth with her and heather that shows you like it what they weren't just they had he- history yeah like for all the resentment she had and hatred she had there was a love there 
even if it was toxic. Like, they had the good moments, too. So you have that conflict in her of, like, you know, I did get rid of a monster, but she was my friend. Like, mm-hmm. and she was a person. Yeah. How she expressed it was, you know, her own monstrous way. But she was. Yeah. The musical is, is a little <coughs> more akin to Mean Girls, like the K- K- Caddy Regina George timeline yeah. of like, I'm getting in good with these people. So it benefits me. We haven't known each other for that long. And we are best friends as far as on the surface of what our high school community is seeing. Like we sit together at lunch now. Yeah. But we haven't actually, you know, swapped secrets. We don't really know anything about each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's that. There, for all the empathy that the musical has and all the cynicism the movie has, I feel like there's weirdly more nuance of humanity in the movie than there is in the show. Because yeah. they do make all the Heathers very comical and cartoonish. They go for a broad approach, I think, to, in their opinion, make all the hard stuff more palatable. And I think it actually, by trying to soften the edges, they actually make it a harder pill to swallow. Mm. Yeah, I think there's something really relatable about the movie version of Veronica who has known these girls for so long and doesn't really want to be friends with them anymore. I grew up in a, in a small town and you know, I had experiences where it's like we lived down the street from each other and we were best friends in kindergarten. I don't really want to be your friend anymore. Like we don't really have a lot of in common anymore. And like, I don't really like you anymore, but how do I break up with someone in this small community where like, you're going to be mad and yeah. like there's nowhere to go. And that, and that madness percolates. Uh, is that what I'm looking for? Like where it spreads out, you know, like mm. if you're the one who breaks it off, if you're the one who makes the decision. Yeah. You become the villain. And then, cause like, then what are you left with? Who can you turn to? Right. Yeah. You're, you're trapped in a, in a structure, in like a social structure. Yeah. We have people we've known for years and we're all interconnected in this way. And over the years, I've had people where I'm like, I'm not sure I really want to be friends with you anymore. You're not really nice to me. Yeah, but we have like some unspoken allegiance because we have a history together. Yeah. And I like how direct they handle that in Heather's, yeah. the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Any other pressing issues on your mind with this show, Chelsea? We talked about the music. We talked mm-hmm. about Veronica. Uh, we talked about Martha and, and McNamara. We didn't really talk about Duke much, but again, I think she gets the short end of the stick. She in the does musical. in the musical for sure. Yeah, she's got a much better defined arc in the movie. First of all, I just want to say, everybody, if you if you love the musical but haven't seen the movie, see the movie. If you don't love the musical and never saw the movie, see, see the, the movie. movie. If you don't love the musical and love the movie, see, see the, the movie. movie. Yeah, just see it. I'm gonna watch it again. I'm gonna watch it it's, again too. It's so good, but yeah, the musical. It came at a time for me where I was. Oh, man. It was, like, exactly my appetite for musical theater at the time. Even though I knew I had problems and I didn't love every song, it was, like, when Barrett Wilbur Weed was right at the tip of the wave of contemporary musical theater. And uh, I just wanted to... I wanted to hear blood when people were singing, so and it and it brought it. Baby. I was prime audience for it at the time. I mean, that's also art, you know. You, how you feel about anything you see depends on where you are in your life mm-hmm. when you see it, and that can change for the better or worse later on. Uh, it's you know that's the tricky thing with nostalgia when mm. you love something at a young age and you look back on it and people go, well, actually, it's bad because of X, Y, Z. A lot of people don't like to admit that. Yeah. And, you know, we don't have to go into the political stuff of that. But to be on the safe side for, like, a movie, let's say. Because uh, I want to keep it safe since we've talked about only safe things on this episode. Oh, yeah. But, like, you know, an example being 
I, anytime I talk to a Gen Xer about Annie, and I'm like, well, I really love the TV Annie. Like, well, I think the original 80s one is, is better. I'm like, you think that because that's the one you grew up with. Yeah. I'm like, I grew up with it too. But I think if someone were to look at those two movies back to back without having ever seen them before, with no attachment, that's the person you want to talk to. But no one's willing to acknowledge the faults of something from their past that they loved because they have that chemical. It means so much to them. Especially yeah. when it's a musical because musical is a chemical reaction, not a mental reaction, not an intellectual mm. one. You respond Music to Music is it. manipulative. Yeah. Which is what, again, we talked about that with Evan Hansen of like moments in the show where you go, am I being manipulated right now because of the music? The answer is yes. Yeah. Even if they don't mean to. Yeah. You know? I feel that way about so many contemporary musicals, specifically jukebox musicals, where mm. people are uh, misconstruing like joy and pleasure for simple, simply song recognition. Yeah. Moulin Rouge. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. Like, I I saw Moulin. I didn't see it on Broadway, but I saw it in Chicago, and I just remember looking around at the audience who was losing their goddamn minds, and I was like, "You are mistaking that you like this. Mm-hmm. You're what's really happening in your brain is you just keep being like, I know this song. Yep. And we're never getting more than like a verse of any of them. It's like listening to a like a mashup." Essentially, it's one big mashup, and you're just being like, I know the song. I know the song. I know the song. Oh, my God. Well, it's like if you get the joke, you're in the club, and everybody wants to be in the club. That's right. that's Heather's. I'm like, but it's not actually, like, changing anything for you. It's, no. It's yeah, it's, there's, a, it's, there's a difference between I like this and I know this. Exactly. Um, and I think there are two musicals recently that do this exact same thing, and they uh, – you didn't see New York, New York, did you? No. You're so welcome. So, but I do know you saw Hell's Kitchen, and we don't have to talk about Hell's Kitchen, but they do a very similar thing with their songs, where they save the most iconic New York-based song for the finale, Mm -hmm. and they throw everything they have at it. Yeah. And I went to a final preview on a Sunday matinee with an audience that was pretty tepid for the entire thing, except for Keisha Lewis's Act 1 finale, and Shoshana Bean's... Uh, Brandon Victor Dixon, Don't Come Near Our House Anymore, Act 2 song, which should be cut even though she sings the house down on it just because he, the next scene he comes in, he's like, I'm back. And she goes, dinner's at six. I'm like, then I we, then we, didn't, then we yeah. didn't need that song. <clears throat> uh, I was, yeah, someone was like, what's your thought on Hell's Kitchen? I say, Shauna Bean spends most of Act 1 serving food, and I don't like that. Yes. Um, point is, they do Empire State of Mind at the end of Hell's Kitchen. They do New York, New York at the end of New York, New mm-hmm. York. And the audience jumped to their feet both times. They're like, this is what we came for. <clears throat> yeah. And it's like, listen, they do the number well. But I'm sitting there going, I saw, it's same thing with others. I saw all of you sit on your hands for two hours. And now at the end, when they give you something that touches your heart in a chemical way, you walk out and you go, I just saw the best. You forget best. everything else. Yep. I just saw the best thing ever. Yes. And that Do you is... think that's what the Megamix is in Mamma Mia? No, because I had pure joy from start to finish in Mamma Mia. Yeah, we love Mamma Mia around here. Actually, you want know, you know what Mamma Mia does really intelligently is it uses four of the five most iconic ABBA songs in the show, three of which are in Act 1. Mamma Mia, Dancing Queen, something else. Yeah. And then they do Winner Takes It All in, in two. Mm-hmm. And they I've talked about this all the time yeah. where they put Winner Takes It All is brilliant. Yeah. And they don't do Waterloo. Waterloo is an encore. Mm-hmm. It's very. I've I've said it's well structured. Well, Mamma Mia is stupidity done well, like yeah. Titan, like Titanic. It's nostalgia done well, and people are always trying to get back to what Mamma Mia does. And I'm like, Mamma Mia is kind of a magic trick because also nobody involved with Mamma Mia has been able to replicate it. So, it's sometimes a good thing is just a good thing and let it live alone. Uh, but no, like it, 
you think about all of that with others, uh, I mean, like even just the plot. What usually when somebody passes, everyone wants to speak well of them because you don't want to speak ill of the dead. But also, then people make it about themselves. Uh-huh. It's not just who they were; it's how they touched me. I'm suffering the most now because I know them so well. Well, that's probably true because the person who died is dead. Yeah, so they're not suffering. They're not suffering no more. Chelsea, this has been delightful. Matt, it really has. I'm so glad you came aboard. Thanks for having me. Thanks for finally agreeing. I mean, I agreed a long time ago. We just couldn't get our shit together. I don't like this narrative. I like the narrative that I... That I kept refusing? Yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. She was simply too booked. You're just so hard to spend time with. It's just so unpleasant. Chelsea, you can't just say truths like that on the (laughs) podcast. I have people who decide to listen to me. They can't go, wait a second, have I been wrong this entire time? (laughs) You have been, but it's okay. We love you anyway. Chelsea, where can people find you if you want them to find you? Um, I'm on Instagram for the first time in three years. I took a long break, people, which means I am of sound mind. It's at Chelsea Williams. Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A, Williams, W-I-L-L-Y-U-M-S. Yes, sir. She's quite a sight to see on Instagram, I'll say that. Eh, sometimes. You you post when you feel like it. There's there's a bikini pic on there. Yeah. Oh, I saw. <laughs> Jesse, if I know when you were in Boston post-grad, I know all of your Instagrams. You, yeah, you know more than most. Oy, oy, oy. I know. I'm, I've got a problem. If you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram only, at Matt Koplick, usual spelling. If you like the podcast, give us a nice five-star rating or review. Yeah. Uh, you can also go on the Patreon for extra bonus content. Uh, join us next week for I Don't Know What. It's all been out of order, y'all, but it'll, sh- it'll be exciting either way. Chelsea, in post, I'm going to add a little diva to sing us out. Who would you like to have us sing out today? Oh my god. Should we should we have some Barrett? We can absolutely have Barrett. Yeah. Or we can have, Is there a singer you want the children to hear? Ooh. It could be Barrett, it could be Winona singing Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. Where does that exist? In the movie when she and JD are fighting about Curtin Ram. Oh. He goes, you wanted it. She goes, I did not want them dead. He goes, yeah, you did. I did not. Did yeah. you? Mary had No, them. yeah. That's what it should be. Okay. <laughs> that's what it should that's be. What it is. For sure. I mean. I feel like we need to honor the movie since we spoke so highly of it this whole time. We should. I, yeah. We'll close yeah. out with that little bit. Yes. Young love. All right. So that's it, guys. Yeah. Uh, I think this might be the first time in Broadway Breakdown history that we've not only closed out with a movie, but uh, with dialogue instead of song. Ugh. But Winona Ryder, that baby. That feels right. It does feel right. This is good for us. All right. Take it away, Winona and Christian. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. I did not want them dead. You did too. I did not. Did too. I did not. Did too. I did not. Did too. Did not. Did too. Did not. Did not. Did not. Shut up. I didn't know what the. Come on. You did. You just not. Little lab. Little lab. I know what you. Young love. Did you hear? School's canceled today because Kurt and Ram killed themselves in a repressed homosexual suicide pact. No way! Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise.